I know Kung Fu. Show me. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dudes! Dude! His dudeness, duder, el duderino. Dude! Dude! Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. Adaptation, improvisation, but your weakness is not your technique. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the dudes. Welcome, everyone, to the Legion of Dudes podcast. Tonight, we take a look at the Immortal Iron Fist Omnibus, part two. I have with me a bunch of cool dudes. Actually, just a couple of... Average dudes. Ken Morgan, Russell Latham. What's up, fellas? Hey. Hey, old, hey, old. Yeah. Russ started vacation. Jerk. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Much deserved vacation. I've had to work many hours o- overtime just to be able to take off sometimes. So. Yeah, you're really mad because yours is over. Yeah. Yes, mine is over, and it was squandered <laughs> and wasted away, and we're back to the fall football Soccer, school. Well, the day this airs is my last day before my, my 10 days off, so that'll be fun. Yeah, you guys are... You do you guys <laughs> <laughs> For real. So, Russ, you started your vacation with Inglorious Bastards this weekend? I did. How'd that go? It, uh... I don't know if you guys... I can't remember if you guys have seen it or not. I, it was very good. I, it's probably in the... If, if it's not my favorite Tarantino movie, it's 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 a close second or third. It's not at all what I thought it was going to be. I mean, if you look at the previews and the trailers and you see all the Brad Pitt and the and the killing Nazi comments and all that kind of stuff, that's not a preponderance of the movie. Um, I, I'd say Brad Pitt is in less than half the movie overall, um, and it's really I mean there's there's like a real story to it, um, and there's a bunch of things kind of going on at once, but. It's very typical Tarantino. I mean, it starts with a, you know, one of his long shots. You know, where it's two guys sitting at a table for probably 15 minutes having a conversation, and you know that tension just keeps building and building and building. You know, but it it, it it's very good. And there's a lot of homages to a lot of I would say mid 60s, late 60s World War II flicks, just in you know music and the way they filmed it, and you know the way the actors work and all that kind of stuff. It's just uh, I, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's, a, it's a long movie. I mean, it's it's a solid two and a half hours. Yeah, I was um, going to say, even though even though only half of it had Brad Pitt, that's still a solid hour and a half of Brad Pitt. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's pretty sad because I haven't seen I've seen a lot of movies this year, a lot of crappy movies. I don't think I've seen a good movie I really like since Star Trek. And uh, I've just tapped out. There's no way I can go see another movie right now. But I'd love to see it. it sounds, I'm hearing consistently good things about it. Yeah, yeah I, I liked it a lot. I'm, I mean, I'm a big Tarantino fan, and, and Pulp Fiction's my number one still, definitely. But I think it fits right in there for me with um, Reservoir Dogs is next, and I like this right up there with it. And, of course, I mean, it is Iron Fist Night, so Kill Bill is right up there for me. But that kind of fit into my whole kung fu love. I don't know that it's the as well-crafted film as, as Inglorious Bastards, but it's more up my alley. So... 
Before we get started with this beast of a book, finish it off, we have a voicemail, I believe, Mr. Tech Dude. Yeah, let's prove some people that even though you, we, we ask for voicemails, we will actually play them from time to time. So here's one. Hey, dude. Uh, just a quick call. Uh, you guys talking about some of the Kung Fu movies you guys like to watch. Uh, Tony Shaw didn't come up to the end, but Ong Bak is awesome. Uh, the Protector is awesome. And then, of course, Ong Bak 2 is coming out this October. If you haven't seen it, the trailer is available up on the Apple site. Uh, looks cool. I'm very excited about it. Uh, and also Ninja Assassin, which looks really cool, too. Uh, that trailer is also on the Apple website. Um, you guys mentioned the remake of The Karate Kid, and I had heard of that already, but it really upsets me that they're doing that. Uh, I thought that the original Karate Kid still held up. It's still, it, I mean, the, the story is still the same today as it was 20 years ago. New kid in the area, no friends, uh, picked on by the bullies, uh, and basically develops the self-confidence to stand up for himself uh, with the mentor character, of course, Mr. Miyagi. Uh, I thought it was a brilliant movie when it came out. It's the first movie I can actually consciously remember seeing at a movie theater. Uh, one of my all-time favorites. Uh, and it upsets me a lot that they're that they're going to remake it. In my opinion, that's that's about the same as doing a remake of the Goonies. It's just ridiculous, and there's no need. Uh, one last thing, you guys were talking during the book. You guys were talking about uh, I think Misty Knight having a robotic arm. That seems to be a bit of a theme in uh, the Marvel books. Misty Knight's got one. Uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier, Bucky Barnes has one. Uh, Bishop has one now. Cable's had one forever. I mean, how many how many people need robotic arms? Seems like there's a lot out there. Uh, anyway, this is a book I have not read. Um, and a lot of the ones that you guys cover that I haven't read, I never go out and purchase. I really have any desire to purchase. It's okay, well, you know, I, I now know pretty much everything that happened, and I'm... That's good enough for me. It wasn't something that I really felt I really, really wanted to go out and buy, with the exception of New Frontier, which I still haven't gone out yet. But uh, this Iron Fist one, uh, you you guys have actually made me want to buy it. Um, so I'm going to see if I can track it down today, either uh, at an LCS or uh, or maybe I'll just order. This is one I'm really eager to get my hands on. Then again. I'm thinking I may just add it to like. Anyway, I will talk to you gentlemen next week. Bye. You know, I hate when I'm not on the show. Which one of you guys was actually making fun of the Karate Kid? You, Mac. <sighs> <That's> <sighs> he didn't really movie. make fun of it. Uh, it, it to, to be fair to, to Adam, we were talking about uh, our background in kung fu, like if we liked the classic movies or if, you know, you know maybe in comic books, whatever. And he said that, you know, I had asked him if he liked classic kung fu movies, and he said, yes, Karate Kid. So I'm not sure. It was definitely for a laugh, but I don't think he was making fun of it. Say, I don't think Karate Kid's like, we consider classic kung fu. Not that I'm <laughs> no. a big expert in kung fu. But. No, no, it was, it was for a laugh, but I don't think he was making fun of it. It is, uh, it is good. And Dan, I have seen those Tony Jaa movies, and, and it goes along with what we were saying last episode, how the cinema in Asia, they, they're always, they stay a, a step ahead of us. 
So now we're doing all the wire fighting, like acrobatic stuff, and they've gone to this like brutal style that's the in thing out there that's working its way out here. And Tony Jaw is like amazing. He does all his own stunts, and it's brutal. I mean, it's constant just throwing guys through glass tables and windows, and it's pretty cool stuff. Didn't they already remake the Karate Kid with the next Karate Kid, the Hillary Swank one? Wouldn't that be considered the remake? I guess it could be considered the remake. I forgot that was Hillary Swank. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I think it was just a continuation. No, it yeah. still had it's still me, yeah. Marita. Because she was the next. Not to get too far off the track, but to kind of con- continue on the, the Kung Fu thing. Have you, either of you guys seen that movie Push? No. No. It's it's kind of a strange... It, the previews made it sound to be like a real superhero-y kind of movie where it's about these people that all have different powers, you know, telekinetics, and, you know, there's one to see the future, and some can you know, let up this big, huge screen. But the way it was shot had a very, it felt like one of those Hong Kong movies, just the way the cinematography was and everything, and kind of the pacing and everything else. It just had a real old boy, that kind of a, that kind of a feel to it, just the lighting and everything else. So it was, it was pretty good. Not as action-packed as I thought it was going to be, but, but it was a pretty decent movie. And uh, I guess the last thing to tie in, you guys are all Blu-ray guys. Those wire fighting Hong Kong movies that like Crouching Tiger and um, House of Flying Daggers, you know that whole like set of movies that came out. They uh-huh. just yeah they they just put them out all on a in Blu-ray like a three pack. I think Curse of the Golden Flower is the other, which was already released, but they added it in the three pack. Wow, in terms of visuals, great great Blu-rays. I mean the you know the scenery and. Uh, the color and the action and everything, definitely worth checking out. Like, even if you're not a big fan of the genre, you know, grab it on Netflix or something just to watch it on your high def. Now, there's three uh-huh. movies of a similar genre. They don't actually tie into each other, right? It's not like it's a series, correct? No, I think they're a trilogy oh. only by director, though. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, they're, I, I believe, I, I could be wrong, but um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is an excellent movie in, in general. It doesn't even have to have martial arts in it, and it's just a great story. Uh, Curse of the Golden Flower I like a lot, too, and I haven't even seen House of Flying Daggers yet, but I've always heard good things about that as well, so I'm hoping to get to that. Yeah, I've seen House of Flying Daggers. I have not seen the other one, so... I definitely recommend Crouching Tiger, and that was the one that kind of brought the whole style to the U.S. Like, it was a huge hit when they, you know, when they uh, finally brought it over here, and now we just get them constantly... You know, that style with the wire fighting and the kind of suspended disbelief that, like, the kung fu gods can just kind of, like, jump from rooftop to rooftop and everything. Right. <laughs> well, I think that was, you know, it was Yin Wu King who did The Matrix. And I think once he became, like, almost like a household name for doing the whole Matrix thing, I think that's where Crouching Tiger kind of had its, its end, you know, because that was him doing all the, you know, the wire fu effects work and, and, you know, the choreography and all that kind of stuff. So, right. The, the perfect form of, of bringing that style to America. Very good. So are we ready for part two of Immortal Iron Fist? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's do it. So we're going to start off with issue eight. Just to backtrack a little bit, in case you missed part one, which you can always get at hhwlod.com or iTunes or a billion other places, Danny was just taken back to Kunlun by Le Kung the Thunderer and uh, the UT. It's time for him to participate in the tournament. So Danny has to kind of drop everything and leave uh, the heroes for hire 
behind to try to figure out what happened to Jaron Hogarth, who was abducted by Mr. Zhao. So definitely a cliffhanger at the end of issue seven for the start of the second half of the omnibus. So once again, we start with a flashback. We have uh, many years ago in Kunlun, and we see that it's uh, Wendell searching for uh, the city. He passes some dead bodies in the snow of others that have tried to find the city and, and didn't quite make it. And finally, he stumbles upon Kunlun, and there's a great uh, splash page with sort of the backdrop of the entire city as Wendell stands up on the mountain. Uh, we cut to now in Kunlun, and Danny is kind of meditating over the book of the Iron Fist, which he just found with uh, Orson Randall's help in part one. And he's working on different techniques that he's learning in the book to heal. Um, and he's kind of surprised how fast he could heal himself without really draining his strength at all. As Lei Kung the Thunderer walks in, and he tells him that it's time, and they're going to go. Uh, they walk through the magical city. And he sees uh, the UT. The UT fills him in. Again, a little bit of uh, background for everyone that it's time for the tournament of the seven capital cities of heaven. The winner is allowed to return to Earth. The others will have to wait until the cities converge again. So it's a very important tournament. It's more about the, you know, the, the history and the pageantry um, and the pride for your, for your city than anything else. Um, UT reminds him that there was a travesty last time, and of course he's talking about Orson Randall um, not showing up and then killing one of the mortal weapons of another city, which we know was in defense. And uh, he asks to Danny if he has any questions before they move on, and Danny says, yes, you know, why didn't my father become the Iron Fist? So again, that seems to be the overlying mystery so far, is why didn't Wendell Rand become an Iron Fist? Uh, then we get another flashback, and it's Wendell waking up uh, after he found the city. Kunlun, uh, Le Kung, the Thunderer, is there, and he says that he was you know, out cold pretty much for four days. And uh, Wendell's kind of out of sorts a little bit, and he defends himself against um, Le Kung, thinking that it might have been an attack. And Le Kung realizes instantly who trained uh, Wendell just by the technique that he used in that, in that one moment. So he already kind of knows that Orson Randall is involved, who they all think is dead. Wendell insists that he taught himself, and they have a little sparring match. Of course, he's no match right now for Lei Kung the Thunderer, who reveals that he knows that Orson Randall still lives. And he says he's glad to know it, but Wendell would have a hard time finding anyone else who felt the same in the city, so that Wendell should be careful. They go to see the UT, the first thing he wants to know is how did Wendell find the city? And of course, Wendell's not going to out Orson Randall. So he says how anyone could find the city. He got lost. The UT's not really believing him, I don't think. But he kind of goes along with it. And Wendell is, is now, this is his new home. I love the next scene where they show Lei Kung's temple of learning, you know, his, his kung fu school. Uh, and they kind of back out of the page and they have all of the students lined up making a giant square. Just very 70s um, Hong Kong movies, you know, all those Bruce Lee movies when they go into the karate school. Um, Fist of Legend was a remake of a Bruce Lee movie. And the name is escaping me right now, but it takes most, uh, mostly takes place in a school and it's very reminiscent of, of this scene. So then we cut back to Mr. Zhao who is trying to get Jaron Hogarth to 
build him this train and Jaren, you know, he, he's saying that it's impossible what he's asking and he's up in the Himalayas with men that don't even speak English, you know, so we're a little bit behind and we get Davos on the TV monitor kind of phoning in a call to them saying that uh, he better be able to do this on time or more harm is going to come to his mother. So Jaren's kind of pleading for his mother's safety. He says it would take a miracle to get this done. Mr. Zhao says wrong answer, Mr. Hogarth. Uh, then there's a shot of exactly what they're building. They have this giant train station that's being built. Jaren says, Danny will save me. Iron Fist will come. Mr. Zhao says, I wouldn't count on that. He's quite indisposed. Then we cut back to Danny, who is trying to channel uh, his power to find Jaren Hogarth. And he is shown in this mystical fountain when he asks the question that Jaren is in the Kunlun Mountains, which kind of is, is a mystery to Danny. Uh, Le Kung sneaks up on him in a pretty cool scene. He says, Le Kung, I didn't hear you approach. Le Kung says, no one ever does, uh, which was pretty cool. Danny explains that he wasn't, he wasn't uh, asking about father. He was asking about Jaren. Le Kung tries to remind him that he, his mind should be on the tournament. He has much bigger things ahead of him. We go back to the UT for a little bit. He's kind of explaining how when the seven cities come together, they create a new city. So each corner of the seven cities creates this new place in the middle that's kind of uh, a nowhere dimension where the fighting takes place. Um, and he explains that time and, and space are, are kind of different where the fight will take place. And next it's time to meet our opponents, which is the good stuff. We get a great big page of all these tables with the symbol of each mystical city on each table and, and a different immortal weapon sitting in each spot. We have Fat Cobra. Uh, his size and strength are only outclassed by his speed. We have the Bride of Nine Spiders, who's kind of like a gothic, you know, mysterious woman. We have the Dog Brother Number One, who's the hero to all strays on the streets of the world. We have Tiger's beautiful daughter. Many a man has found his doom at her hand or in her bed. We have the mysterious Prince of Orphans, who we know very little about right now. He's just kind of like a hooded character we can't see his face um and then we have davos the new weapon of kunzi the steel serpent the master of the cranes so davos who was kind of our main villain for the first part returns as a uh as the weapon of kunzi fighting in the tournament for the crane mother danny's pretty angry at him obviously because he's taken a part in jaren disappearing and all of the chaos of the first seven issues the crane mother begins yelling at the qt that he cannot control his weapon again, and we don't want a problem like we had last time, again, referring back to Orson Randall. Uh, so now they're going to flip these chips that have the different symbols on them, and they're going to decide who will fight in the exhibition against, I believe it's 100 terror priests. So they're going to have a little exhibition match to uh, celebrate the tournament. And... The chips fall in the favor of Fat Cobra, so we're going to get to see Fat Cobra fight the Terra Priests. Lake Kung tells Danny to watch closely, and uh, we get some cool combat from Fat Cobra, and Danny is pretty impressed at, um, at his fighting style and, and all this technique that he's never seen before and this power and strength. In the meantime, we have a servant girl who catches Danny's eye. Her face is kind of covered in like a ceremonial garb. You can only see her eyes, and I'm pretty sure it's her blue eyes that kind of catch Danny's 
attention. She's not uh, the typical looking girl or servant girl, certainly in the mystical city. Again, like Kung's telling him just to pay attention. So we get some sumo thunder stomps from Fat Cobra and some thunder claps and great moves. And he finishes off all the terror priests before his tea has cooled. So the terror priests have fallen. Fat Cobra is the winner and Danny is pretty, uh, he's pretty upset. He's, he's going to have a hard time fighting all these guys. And they give Fat Cobra the chance to pick his opponent for, for winning the, in the exhibition. And because Danny has been so aggravated and so eager to fight, he says, because he saw the confrontation with Davos, Fat Cobra picks the Immortal Iron Fist to end issue eight. Um, so at the bottom, they give us a little tournament bracket. We'll see Iron Fist against Fat Cobra next issue for round two. So one thing I like definitely at the end of this issue, I remember reading it the first time, I thought the coolest thing in the world was that each issue was going to be like one round of the tournament or one fight. I thought that was like a really nice twist in how to, you know, format all the issues. It didn't really end up turning out that way, but they formatted it that way for a couple um, from here on out. Yeah. One thing I noticed with this issue more than anything is, and I even went back into the credits in the beginning to take a look, but David Aja penciled the whole thing. But the styles are so different from when he's telling Wendell's story to when he's telling, you know, kind of the current present time story that it almost it almost looks like two different pencilers even. But I guess there are multiple anchors and different colorists and stuff to give it that different style. But, you know, one thing this book has excelled at, and we talked about it in the first one, is, you know, that the flashback sequences are all done, you know, to call them out and to, you know, to make it, you know, apparent that that's what's going on. Yeah, definitely. They definitely look like a different artist when, when you do the flashbacks. And, and that continues. I really like these flashbacks with Le Kung and, you know, the shots in the school with all of the trainees, you know, with the head shaved and all in the same garb and everything. Again, it really calls back to like a lot of the 70s Kung Fu stuff. And, and I think that's been like a, a, a choice that the creators made that they were going to continue to call on that stuff in this book. Yeah, what I really liked about that, the flashbacks in, partic- in particular, is that we're really getting two stories out of this. I mean, we're getting Danny's story you know, through Torment, but we're also really learning a lot more about, about uh, Wendell than we ever had before. Not only Wendell, but uh, of Davos and then a lot of the other players. Um, so just having these two stories unfold in parallel, but also kind of you know, syncing up, if you know what I mean, is, is just was a really great way of telling these stories. Right, absolutely. And Orson as well. We got a lot more of it in the first uh, part before he got killed, but... You know, they're telling his story along the way, too. So you're getting Orson, you're getting Wendell, and, uh, you know, and Danny's current story. And Fat Cobra's just really cool. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll get more of him now in, um, in issue nine. Uh, we get a pretty cool Fat Cobra cover. I us a quick question on eight while we're still here. Now, I don't think it's clear in this issue, but UT of Wendell's time is not the same UT as... Danny now, it seems, correct? No, it's his father. It's his father, yeah. But that's, that's not made clear to us yet, though, correct? I mean, that's, no, that's no, I think here. they reveal that in a couple of issues yeah. when they actually show them standing next to each other. Right. Yeah, they haven't revealed that yet. Okay, I just want to make sure I understood that correctly because this is my first time reading through these. So, beginning of issue nine starts off with another flashback. We're getting into the training of Wendell and Davos. You know, we get a lot of, of sparring and... and 
they kind of make it a point that Wendell wasn't ready at this time. Davos kind of takes him down pretty easily. They go to some scenes in the dining hall where Wendell is, of course, sitting alone because he's the outworlder that really hasn't been accepted yet by all of the Kunlun-born fighters. And Davos does come over and sit with Wendell. And, you know, he kind of just says, well, you know, these, I've heard all these other guys' stories. I'd, I'd much rather hear about New York or, you know, he wants to hear about things from Earth. And um, they're building the relationship here between Wendell and Davos. And that's what gives it more weight when it falls apart later on, um, that they're going to make them friends. Cut back to Danny, who's still kind of meditating, uh, or maybe again, he's meditating over the book of the Iron Fist. And he's working on some different techniques and there's a really cool moment where at the bottom panel, uh, the main panel has the servant girl trying to sneak up on Danny, but that extra box in orange that they created and they kind of connect the servant girl and Danny's eye um, and they color that orange. So it really shows you that he caught her, you know, he, she caught his attention um, and it's part of this heightened awareness that he has from learning the new techniques from the book of the Iron Fist. And he says he can hear the sweat running down her cheek. So his, his powers are definitely being enhanced by getting all this knowledge from the book. The, girl, the servant girl who was sneaking up on him says, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of you and you won't catch me. And they do some flipping and uh, evading for a little while. And then there's actually a little combat where she's trying to defend herself she thinks from danny danny blocks everything pretty easily that she throws at him danny immediately wants to know who taught her this because it's forbidden that uh women be taught the martial arts in kunlun she says she'll carry her master's name to the grave and she says what about your master daniel rand what about orson randall so she kind of tips her hand a little bit and it it surprises Danny that she knows about Orson, and in his moment of confusion, she hits him with a pretty nasty kick in the jaw. Um, another nice panel with some uh, good effects in it. She tells him there are larger things at work here than just the tournament. Um, she tells him he needs to lose his match against Fat Cobra. He's very skeptical at this point. He thinks she's out of her mind, but he's not 100% sure. So now we jump to the tournament of round one. Uh, we find out that there is a loser's bracket in this tournament, which is pretty important. So there's going to be a winner's champion, and then all of the people that have lost, there will be a champion that comes out of that group as well. So it's not if you lose, you're out. And they needed to throw that in uh, for the future, but we'll get to that. So Danny's about to square off. The Prince of Orphans puts 500 on the little one, meaning Danny. Um, Davos takes that bet. He's probably seen Fat Cobra in action. And he, Danny thinks he's going to start with that right hand that he started previously with. And of course he doesn't. And, uh, Fat Cobra has some amazing power. He seems to control like weather and lightning. And he has a power over world. He has a whirlwind of impending doom move. And he really, uh, lays it to Danny early, early on. Danny's trying to get to his senses. And one cool thing that I like is Danny gets blasted out of the building and because this is kind of like a trans-dimensional gateway these cities they land in the streets of hong kong uh so now they're fighting out in the street in the rain you know very matrix like open the door and now you're in a completely different place um so danny's concerned with getting back through the window and not hurting uh civilians out in the street 
catches Fat Cobra with a couple of moves. They kind of go to a stalemate until Fat Cobra catches Danny with the Devil's Skull Crusher, which looks pretty much like a straight left right to the face uh, that he catches him clean. Now he says, let's test your wisdom. You know, and he's telling him to yield and he's beating him down. Danny holds out for a little while, says no, there's a lot of blood. Finally, uh, Danny yields. So Fat Cobra wins and he proclaims, bring me my victory wenches, which I know is Big Jim Dietz's favorite line. Maybe he'll make it in a little while, but he's not here yet. But I did want to mention that he loves that line. (laughs) I love love just Danny just jumping in. He's like, yield. No? No? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's a question not, not a comment it's not a statement yeah well there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on i, I really like the way they played this but i'll, I'll finish the issue and, and then we'll talk about that yeah so then they go back to some sparring between uh wendell and davos and wendell seems to be improving he's getting the better of of davos and he's trying to get davos to yield uh davos is saying never so it's kind of like a. You know, they're, they're playing these scenes against each other. Danny had to just yield to Fat Cobra, and you're not really sure if he had to do it on pur- if he did it on purpose or if he was defeated. He could have very easily just been beaten to a pulp, or he could be listening to the servant girl to throw the match. So we're not exactly sure yet. And, and now you have the contrast that Davos just will not yield uh, to Wendell in their sparring match. Once again, Wendell is eating alone. Davos comes back. Wendell wants to know if he threw the match. So again, they're, they're playing these two scenes against each other. Davos says he didn't, and he demands the best from Wendell. And uh, Wendell considers them friends. We go back to Danny, who's beaten up pretty badly, and he's going to use his new techniques to heal. Uh, the servant girl returns. She tells him that they don't have a lot of time. She gives Danny a disguise to wear. Uh, she says where they're going People have been punished for a long time for going there. And she says, never forget, in Kunlun, the sins of the parent are passed to the child. Uh, which was an interesting comment because we soon find out, as they arrive at the Randall Gate, we find out that she is actually the daughter of Orson Randall and the granddaughter of Phineas Randall who created the gate, the interdimensional gate that can get them in and out of Earth whenever they want to go. So she gives them a little she gives Danny a little background. She talks about Ernst Erskine, which we met in part one. He's the reporter that followed uh, Orson around to get his life story down. And she says, you need to find him because he has the answer, you know, to everything. And he's still alive, it seems, because Orson gave him the power to stay alive. And now that Orson is dead, she doesn't think that he'll be far behind to lose his life. So Danny needs to hurry. Uh, so Danny goes through the gate. He's wondering how he's going to get back. And there's a very old man outside the gate watching. And he kind of gives Danny the high sign. He lifts his hand up to him. And there is an iron fist symbol imprinted on the inside of his palm. So Danny knows that uh, this is a much older and bigger thing going on here than he's ever imagined. You know, there's a much bigger picture here. And there's a lot of players involved. So Danny kind of walks right by the Heroes for Hire. We have Misty and Colleen and, uh, and Luke that are trying to figure out how they're going to get Jaren back and help out. And Danny just kind of sneaks by them, and, and he's saying to himself he just doesn't have the time to hook up with them right now. Uh, he's got two worlds to save and a dying old man to find if he's not too late. 
So that's the end of issue nine. I, I do really like the way. Well, I love the fight. The fight with Fat Cobra, I thought was awesome. The, uh, you know, the different moves and how they show the impact. And I thought the art and the color was great for those scenes in in Hong Kong when they fall through the gate. I definitely yeah, enjoyed that. Yeah, it's one of the things I think is great about this book. It, it borrows heavily from the things they talk about in like Crouching or Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and. Um, some of the other, you know, Hong Kong flicks where every time they make some sort of motion, it's got some elaborate name to it. You know, we've seen that in the in the book earlier, but, you know, Citadel of Misfortune or uh, Cudgel of Misfortune, Whirlwind of Impending Doom, Burning Chi, Thunderfoot. I mean, everything's got this overly dramatic name to, to some sort of fighting move or fighting style. I just And they, they, they take that on and permeate this through the rest of the story. It's really cool. I also like um, Aja's done it before, and, and he does it a couple of times here. If you go to the fight between Fat Cobra and Danny, when Danny actually hits Fat Cobra with the Burning Chi Thunderfoot, yeah, it's actually one panel. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's actually one big picture, but Danny moves through it in each panel. Yeah, I, I like that technique. It's it's really cool. He uses he uses it a lot. So it's really, you know, one picture. I think he does it on the opposite page, too, with the cudgel of misfortune. It's actually one big picture. Right. But he uses the frames to kind of, he might put dialogue in each frame to break it up or just to show the movement through the frame. He definitely likes circles. He uses the circles a lot, either to call something attention to it, like with the, with the moves, you know, where things connect, which is cool. And then, like, when somebody's confused, you know, Danny, obviously, at the at the bottom of that page where, um, with the cudgel of misfortune, he's obviously disoriented, so he's got the, you know, kind of bubblehead thing going on. And I think we even saw that, too, when um, when Orson was kind of making the motions, you know, the Jedi mind trick stuff with his hand. We even saw that, that right. style come into play. So, yeah, I, I like all that stuff to kind of call attention to, to what's going on. And then the, the kind of the fighting between Davos and Wendell. It's very reminiscent of stuff like, you know, Dragon Ball Z and some of the, you know, the anime where you get the, the backgrounds that are kind of whooshing by and, you know, you know, the fighting going on and stuff like that. I thought that was kind of cool. Going to a, like a more story point here. Um, I know like uh, from our last episode when we read that, I guess Danny's power is now heightened because he's now the only Iron Fist. He basically got, he had all of his power, plus he got all of Orson's power once Orson died. Is that that, that right? Yep. Yep. Now, is his power also heightened just by his presence here in the city? Like, is that also kind of give him a boost? They haven't. They haven't mentioned that. I think it's a combination of he's at full strength because Orson is dead, and now he's reading in the book how to how channel. to tap into that. Yeah, I thought I read right. something later on, maybe or maybe even here. I thought I saw something about you know when he leaves the city or he's banished the city, he won't have his power or as be as powerful. I thought I had seen something like that, but. Again, with one read through, I can't remember. If I find it, I'll bring it up. Okay. Yeah. The other thing I think is cool in, in this arc is, you know, we saw in the last arc, it was kind of the, the backstory was the story of Orson Randall. And this one, you know, the story, you know, the backstory is the story of Wendell Rant. So we're kind of getting this, you know, I like how each arc kind of takes a theme and you know, carries that through. So they're moving the story forward. And then they're also, you know, kind of giving, giving you, filling you in on the backstory, filling you in on what's, you know, happened in the past and all that. Now, the question I have is, as I was reading through this towards the end of, of issue nine, we, when the old 
old man is sitting there guarding the doorway out, out of the machine, and he holds up his hand and has the, the dragon symbol on it. Did you take that? And I, I didn't think this was the case because because I thought that Orson was the only other Iron Fist, but this guy having the symbol of the Iron Fist on his hand, I haven't seen... Have we seen where anybody else other than the Iron Fist actually has the symbol of the Iron Fist on them? No, no, I, I never have. I think... I don't think he is an Iron Fist. I think no. it's just a mark of, you know, right, he's right. in the club, if you will. He's like, he, he's right. in the know about yeah. the gate. I'm keeping an eye on the door. <laughs> kind of like, uh, kind of like what we'll find out later with uh, Davos and his, or not Davos, uh, Thunderer and his followers. They all have his symbol tattooed on them. Right. And we'll yeah, meet them later yeah, on. So. It just seems, I guess it just kind of caught me odd because we haven't seen anybody else other than the Iron Fist have the symbol, you know, the, the dragon symbol on them. So it, it just kind of maybe be kind of a double take on it. The other thing I want to, I, I kind of misspoke last episode when I was talking about Colleen Wing and where she's shown up before. She did not show up in Uncanny X-Men in the 60s. It was in the late 70s. It was after Claremont took over. And Scott had thought Jean was dead. Um, she wasn't really dead. They just the two teams kind of the team kind of split. They're in different places. Each half of the team thought the other half was dead. They're on different parts of the world. And Cyclops, being the Cyclops that he is, moved on rather quickly and started dating Colleen Wing for a while, like in the early on twenty. So clear that up. Cool. Good for Scott. <laughs> okay, so issue ten starts us off with. Um, another flashback, and it seems to be the day that Wendell is going to fight to see if he is worthy being the Iron Fist. So he goes through the, a series of panels where he beats up on a nameless uh, other student. And then Davos is also fighting in this tournament, and they kind of have a cool thing where they show you know Davos rooting for Wendell and Wendell rooting for Davos. But there's definitely um, some tension there. You know, they, they say to each other that, oh, if it's not me, I hope it's you. And you wonder if that could be true. And, and that kind of that really rang true for me, you know, in any kind of competition with young men and everything. You know, you, your buddies are your buddies, but you don't want them to beat you. So I thought it was an interesting scene. And of course, it comes down to Davos versus Wendell until one yields to see who will be able to face the dragon and possibly the current fist. And we cut to the heart of heaven where the tournament is taking place currently. Everybody wants to know where Danny is, because, of course, Danny has gone off uh, to the Earth realm. Um, and the next match will be uh, the Bride of Nine Spiders and Dog Brother Number 1. So we get a look at the Bride of Nine Spiders' power. She's kind of has these spiders that crawl from inside her skin she kind of opens up a wound and all of these spiders come out and they seem to be an illusion because uh dog brothers technique is going to be to try to you know ignore the spiders and bring the fight to the bride and they crash through the gate as well and end up in a jungle somewhere um and we have all of the orphans and stray dogs that kind of follow dog brother number one around looking on um, so nobody can really see what's happening, and then all of a sudden all the dogs start howling, and everybody knows that that means that the Bride of Nine Spiders has won. So they kind of kept that fight uh, behind the curtain, so to speak, um, and, and they give you more insight on the Bride of Nine Spiders and her fighting and, and technique and life and stuff like that in one of the Immortal Weapons one-shots. 
Um, I think The Bride of Nine Spiders is the second one, Fat Cobra being the first. So definitely check those out if you're interested in the characters. They kind of fill in a lot of the gaps. Um, so UT says he's going to find our champion. He wants to know where, uh, where Danny went. And he kind of heads off onto this mysterious bridge. He calls for the girl, which is our servant girl, who we know is working with Danny. He wants to know if she's remained at her post. She says, of course. You know, has anybody used the gate? She says no. Um, the Iron Fist has not used the machine. So UT has a pretty idea of what's going on here. And she's, it's a big game of chicken. You know, she's not coming clean. UT pretty much knows that she's lying. Um, and he attacks her. So now, what does he do? He's going to be sending a legion of terror priests out to find Danny, and he wants her to prepare the Randall machine. She says that that's probably not a good idea, that only, um, you know, nobody is supposed to be using it, and if he lets all of these people use it, then the word is going to get out that it exists, which he wouldn't want. The, the key to remember here is that the UT has been telling everyone for all these years that the only way off of the of uh, the mystical city to the Earth realm is when everything aligns once every so many years and during the tournament, and then you can go to Earth if you are the Iron Fist. He's been lying all this time that this gate exists, then, and he's been going back and forth whenever he wants. So uh, that's kind of what's going on here. So he sends the terror priests out to find Danny Rand, and we go back to... The heroes for hire that are still out in the snow trying to figure out what they're going to do about, um, about Jaren. Uh, they can't find themselves on the GPN. They've, they're in a black hole right now because this is the time where Kunlun is in alignment with the mystical cities. So they're really not on the Earth realm. They're like somewhere in between. They're on Earth, but they're in Kunlun. So things are a little wacky. Certainly the GPS and they can't contact the Avengers or, or anything like that. They're on their own. We go to the celebration in the Heart of Heaven uh, where Fat Cobra is celebrating his win with some giant mugs of beer, it looks like. He's betting Davos on, you know, he's trying to bet Davos women on their fight. They're having a little fun. We get another look at the Prince of Orphans, who's still a pretty mysterious character. He says that the Bride of Nine Spider skills were impressive. She says, I hope you'll feel the same when we battle. He says, I certainly hope not. So there's just a little mysterious thing going on with the Prince of, of Orphans. And everybody's wondering, I guess, who he is at this point. We see next as Lei Kung meets up with the servant girl that she is wearing the mark of the Thunderer on her arm as sort of a sign that she's with him. And they, and they talk about this much bigger picture that's, that's going on. So they're having a little moment here where... They're talking about uh, Orson and, and, and fathers and sons. You know, if, he, if Danny is seen out there, they'll lose everything. He's c trying to console her, saying they haven't lost yet. And you don't know what Daniel Rankai is capable of. Is that so the first time we heard him referred to as Rankai? I think so. I know it happens a lot after this. I'm not sure if it's the first time. It's kind of like Lei Kung's... Uh, you know, name for Danny, but it could okay. be the first time. But it's not something significant that he's something more than Danny Rand or Iron Fist. It's just something that he calls him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Sorry. Thanks. No, no problem. Again, Jaren is saying that he can't possibly do what Zhao is asking, and Zhao just keeps insisting that it will get done. And a spy has. We, we saw this person, I kind of skipped it before. Out of the mystical city, there, there was like a horseman that rode by that kind of went by the. Uh, 
the heroes for hire and they were wondering what was going on. And it turns out that it was a spy for Mr. Zhao and he had seen the terror priests come out of the city. So Zhao has been alerted kind of to what's going on. He has his Hydra agent kill the lookout after he gives him the information. So they shoot him dead. Zhao's pretty ruthless cat. He says, Daniel Ren has fled the heart of heaven and Kunlun. There's only one way for him to return and, and Zhao will be waiting for him. So Zhao calls in a, a ton of these Hydra airships to kind of rain fire down on the area, you know, and kill anyone who might be out to stop him. Then we go back to the fight. We go back to um, Kunlun in the tournament, and it's Wendell against Davos. And pretty long scene here, a couple of pages of them fighting, and Wendell gets the best of them, uh, and he's asking Davos to yield. And, of course, Davos will not yield. Finally, the UT stops the fight because he doesn't want to see his warrior beaten to a pulp. He says the battle is over. So Davos is screaming, no, you know, and all of the hate comes out of Davos at this moment. You know, he, you always loved him better than me. And, and, you know, why is it like that? He's an outworlder and, you know, he's the son of Le Kung and, and he doesn't understand it. So he's pretty much just being a sore loser at this point. Uh, he says to Wendell that you should have killed me. Because the, you know, the, the embarrassment is too much for him to handle at this point. And that's where the issue ends. So we get a good look there at Davos's mentality and what's kind of leading to him being the person that he is today. The whole Bride and Nine Spiders thing to me was the craziest thing I think I've ever seen. I mean, that was just nuts. It's creepy. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, extremely. I mean, she kind of looks weird to begin with, you know, the whole goth pale skin and the, you know, the eyes. And then she turns around as she's opening up the front of her, her top. And it's just like all of these spiders just come rushing out and you can see the flesh is kind of tearing away. Even, you know, her eye goes from normal color to black like that. It's just really just, just a creepy, just bizarre. I mean, the whole, all these, these, uh, Immortal weapons are just it's a it's a really cool concept. I think it's it's really neat to to bring this into the to the lore of the Iron Fist to not just have one that the, you know there's a bunch of them and you know Fat Cobra, but just the names too. Dog Brother Number One. I mean it's just it's they're just so bizarre, you know, just the names and everything. Yeah, definitely, and I love um, I love that panel of all of the dogs and the orphans like standing there. You know, you can almost see it in a movie, like, as he, you know, if, if they did a shot where he came into the frame and then, like, one by one, like, these little kids and dogs would, like, come into the frame, like, they just kind of follow him around, you know? Village of the Damned or something Right, right, like that, exactly. You know? Exactly. And I love the Broad and Nine Spiders uh, speech, that little, like, Michael Myers Halloween sound <laughs> that she makes all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's just kind of a weird, you know, and it's kind of interesting, too, because it accentuates that it's not all about martial arts, that these people are chosen as the, the representatives of each of their worlds or whatever, and it's not all about just, you know, kung fu. You know, you've got Dog Brother number one, he's got, you know, heavy, he's heavily armored, almost like a samurai, um, with the swords and everything, and then, you know, of course, this chick here is just a freakazoid, so... It's interesting that, you know, not, it would be easy, I guess, to fall into the trap of everybody is just the same, you know, everybody just has their own brand of kung fu moves or whatever. Right. So to kind of mix it up was, uh, was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm really enjoying all of the other immortal weapons, and I'm glad they're doing these one shots. I mean, it's kind of a catch 22. I mean, 
I was happy that they did them within the Iron Fist book so that it's not like crossover event type stuff that you have to buy extra issues to read it. But at the same time, they haven't told the Iron Fist story, you know, and they won't be telling it for like five months while they do these one shots. Right. So, you know, it's kind of a catch 22, but I'm glad they're doing it because they could do a lot with these characters. You know, like we said earlier or, or last episode, comparing it to like, uh, Green Lantern core or something, you know, there's so many, they're building these new characters and you can really flesh out their backstories. And, you know, there's some good storytelling here. Definitely. Even just Orson Randall alone, they could, you know, every annual should be an Orson Randall story. As far as I'm concerned, that would be really, really cool. It's kind of cool towards the end of the issue when they have the, the, the Hydra strike on kind of the village in response. I just had a real GI Joe moment, you know, from there, the whole, the whole Hydra thing, obviously brings up memories of Cobra, um, even though Hydra was really around first. But just the way these ships are, it just had a real G.I. Joe kind of vibe to it when, when they're all going Hail Hydra. And, and like I said, just the, the design of the ships and the way they're in there just has that look to it. Yeah, definitely. And even that UT hood, like we said, is a really Cobra commander. Oh, yeah. yeah. Look, But I like so. how they're starting to set it up, you know, with, with um, Orson's daughter, you know, confronting UT... And, you know, kind of basically calling him out on his deception. You know, it's, we're starting to get that slow build. Um, and then even more so when she goes up to Lake Coon, you know, and kind of shows off her mark there that matches his mark and saying, you know, that only, you know, those of us that have the mark trusted. It's, you know, again, it's more and more setting up to what's, you know, what's about to come. So next we're going to get to this annual, which Ken actually pointed out to us um off air a little while ago. The the annual actually came out before the last issue that we read. Yeah. Um, so they kind of take place like simultaneously. I guess you want to put them in a timeline. Right, right. In the in the omnibus, they release it after issue. What did we just do? Ten. Yeah. 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 So in the omnibus, it's after issue ten. Its release date was actually before issue ten. It's an Orson Randall story. We're, we're going to go through the through the annual kind of quickly. It tells the story of Danny showing up. Uh, on the Earth realm to talk to Mr. Ersk- Erskine, who is the, um, you know, the reporter that's been keeping Orson's stories all this time. And, and again, he needs to get to him before he dies because Orson is the one that was keeping him alive, which he also explains to Danny. Um, and right away we see that Danny is in the scope site of Hydra, so they know that he's come here. They were alerted when he left the city uh, by Zhao, probably. So they have some nice tea in, in Erskine's place and they begin to tell some stories of, of Orson Randall's uh, past escapades and you know we, we see Orson after he left the mystical city that now there's a bounty on his head so we have the lightning lords that are coming after Orson we also have the bride of nine spiders a much younger version and a different looking version I'm assuming this is the last bride of nine spiders before the current one i guess it could be the current one and she's just kind of changed form over all these years they don't specifically say she is the bride of nine spiders though and she has a bunch of little spiders falling out of her dress and stuff so from the same uh realm at least so the lightning lords and the bride of nine spiders are trying to bring in this bounty 
uh, from Orson. And Mr. Erskine gets Orson out of there, kind of saves him. And he says that from that day on, it was kind of like always the two of them together. Again, we we flash back to the current, and he's explaining that after that, they just stuck together. And in the meantime, we get a lady dropping a little poison in a drink. So Hydra's presence is definitely there, and they're trying to... They're trying to get Danny while he's out in the open. So Danny has his drink, and, and he begins listening to another story of Orson Randall escapades again, painted really nicely. They, they really give you the feel that it's a, a story in the past by the style and the, and the, the, uh, the color design and, and the painted style of the, of the comic. We meet some of the band of merrymen, if you will, of Orson Randall. You have Chores, who helps him out. You have Shadu the Shady which I thought was a great name. Yeah. The Contessa, Contessa Vera Vital. Vidal, maybe it is, if you're European. So they kind of have, uh, they have a, a, a big adventure here, and, and there's a lot of fighting and kind of fun Indiana Jones-type stuff. We find out that the, the important thing here in, in this story is that they needed to get back Orson's will because Orson has left everything to young Wendell Rand. Uh, so this is when we really first learn that the Wendell, Rand, the, I should say the Rand fortune that has made Danny the billionaire that he is today came from Orson Randall. Now, we don't know where Orson got it from yet, but we, we'll, we'll find that out in the future. But we know that Orson is the root of the Rand fortune, which is kind of a cool, again, a way to tie in the, the annual with the continuity that they've been building. Um, in the meantime, in, in the present, Danny is out cold. Apparently what was dropped in his drink has kind of taken effect. So Mr. Erskine is saying that Phineas Randall's estate was so vast that it seemed to grow on its own. And where did such wealth come from? So we're still, we're backing track now. We know that Danny was left his money from Orson and Orson's money was his father's, but where did his father get all of this money from and how did it keep building? So they're building on the mystery here. We go back to another story in the past where we find out that Mr. Erskine is rather sick and Orson is doing some things to, to try to help him out and, and heal him. And there's a fight on a train with some Hydra agents and, we learn that Mr. Zhao is kind of this, he's been around all this time and he's been in battles with Orson in the past. So he's kind of like another mystical being that's, you know, been around for ages in this, uh, in the scheme of things. And eventually what happened was Orson put his hands to Erskine's chest, uh, with the dragon's chi to help heal him. And this is what gave him this kind of everlasting life you know as long as orson was alive erskine would be alive and gave him this really long life so now of course that's going to be ending because orson has died danny mentions that zhao's minions are with them now he figures out that he's being watched um, because of the poison and everything erskine is worried that zhao is here danny catches a bullet that comes in through the window which is pretty cool throws down with some hydra agents outside of erskine's place defeats them of course we find out that in the meantime, Erskine has killed the, the person who was trying to, to poison Danny. Now, that's not the, – the Contessa is in bed. She's the other old lady, right? Okay, so we don't know who that poisoner, if you will, was. He just kind of figured it out. 
And in the meantime, he introduces Danny to these other people that he's been taking care of. And they're, they seem to be much older than Erskine at this point. So I guess they didn't get the benefit of the Iron Fist's power like he did. Finally, Erskine brings Danny into this secret library. And it has all of the books of information that Erskine had been writing down about Orson. Um, so these are all the live stories of Orson Randall. You know, so Danny's going to gain all of this information from having these books. Um, and it ends with Erskine reading his old friend's kind of a bedtime story of Orson Randall and the Axis Automatons. Coming soon to a comic shop near you. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. I, I've enjoyed how the one-shots and the annual didn't take you completely out of the story and tell you just a one-off about whatever. They've been kind of tying everything in. Um, and again, building on like this mythology that they're trying to get going for the Iron Fist legacy, which is pretty cool. Yeah, this one, I really, really enjoyed the annual. The one thing, the only criticism I have, and this is just minor, but it's just something that stuck out at me, is when I first started reading this, did it almost seem like this took place in a different time? Because it's Danny's almost like carefree and, you know, he's well-dressed and he's just kind of trotting along. And it wasn't, you know, until... You know, he, he starts getting further in the story, and he's you know in the villa in the south of France and stuff like that. That you, you you know you realize it's a continuation. But for me, at first, I don't know if you guys had the same reaction. It just didn't. I didn't catch that it was a continuation. Yeah, well, the the art is an extreme different. Is that Chaikin that Chaykin. drew? That's yeah, art Chaikin. Yeah, yeah I, I can't stand him. He ruined Punisher Warzone for me. <laughs> The Danny that he draws, if the hair was black, it would be his Punisher. You know, uh, <laughs> the faces all look the same to me. But but anyway, yeah, I can't um, say it was it was it felt out of place to me because, well, again, reading the issues, you know, you go from nine says continued in and number one, you end and number one says continued in Iron Fist number ten. So, and then he left nine to go meet Ernst, and here he is meeting Ernst. So clearly, it's all part of the same story. So that part didn't bother me. Really, nothing bothered me with it. I, I enjoyed it a lot, and I love the. This is a, a stark example of the difference of art styles between the the present and the flashback, uh, more so even than in the uh, main issues. Uh, but it was a yeah. nice diversion. I like that they did it in the annual because it really doesn't have anything to do with the uh, Seven Capital Cities of Heaven storyline, um, but it's still important to the story at large of Danny Rand. Right. My, my, I love the Burton art phenomenal yeah that was really cool definitely uh, my only my problem with the shaking stuff is i mean just look at the other i mean use some kind of reference and yeah. make it look like danny rand a little bit yeah i think my I mean, I, my biggest problem is like on page i think it's uh eight or nine uh it's a close-up shot of danny's face he's bringing the tea to his lips and he's just like the line thing is like, what you know? Well, when you put it like that, it sounds like I'm in trouble. He just got this big goofy grin that you just like would see on some caricature of a superhero, He's just like standing there all buffed up and big smile, saying, "See, I'm a good guy." And yeah. it's just really cheesy. But you know, I generally, if I really am digging a story, I'm not going to let the art distract me too much. Uh, and this is a case of that where I, I, I let the story pull me through. So we have seven capital cities of heaven, round four, which is issue eleven. Starts off with Danny this time, not a flashback, and he's traveled to Tibet to try to uh, figure out what's going on here. And he sees some Hydra guys and an old woman, so he realizes that Hydra has taken over the has taken over this village. So he knows that Zhao has like his hands into everything at this point. 
Um, and then we flash to Zhao, who again is hurry them up, hurry them up. You know, he's dying to get this train rolling. Jaren says it's not a toaster. You just can't plug it in. And, and he wonders why he's had him build this train to nowhere. You know, it's going to run out of track in half a click and, and fly off. Now, this and, is the same train system that Danny's company was building that was stolen from him, correct? Right. Okay. Right. This yeah. is the, tech, the technology, yeah. And then they're, uh, they got it in high speed just to try to get it done right now. And he has Jaren's mother, of course, so that's what's keeping Jaren um, working on it. So they, f- they finally fire it up, and it shoots kind of like this lightning beam out of the front of the train. And Jaren finally sees what this is all about, that he's opening up the portal to the mystical city. So we get that look, um, the, the silhouette of the city in a close-up of the goggles of Jaren. We're seeing what he's seeing, um, and he can finally see the city. Uh, and Jaren gets a gift, and it's an empty box. And Zhao says, that's correct. If the train had failed, it would have contained your mother's ear. So Jaren, I guess, is pretty happy that the box was empty then. So we get the Heroes for Hire looking on. Uh, they're saying that, oh no, you know, the train is being loaded with explosives. Luke is kind of like saying, you know, great. So we have a ton of Hydra agents and they're going to drag, they're dragging explosives onto this train. So this is getting bigger and bigger. And Luke is ready to call in the Avengers and Misty and Colleen who have registered are saying, you're not bringing in those Avengers. And they kind of have this little dialogue that just keeps things into perspective in terms of the time frame of, you know, Civil War and everything. So the girls are registered, and Luke, of course, is not. He's a new Avenger. So they kind of have this little argument that keeps that in perspective. Then Danny says, you know, you guys should really be watching your flank rather than arguing because I just snuck up on you. So they're very, of course, surprised to see Danny. Go ahead, Russ. No, it's just that baby chuckle. Yeah, yeah, that was, a, that was a nice scene. Hey, they're not in America. Those laws don't matter here. Yeah, right. So they're talking about, you know, there's this giant magnetic train here and we're watching it hover over a foot of track and the explosions are the explosives are being loaded on. Um, Danny kind of fills them in that uh, Orson Randall's father opened this dimensional gate. Uh, Zhao has figured out similar technology and he's built this here to kind of rip it open from the outside in. And, and he tells them about the assassination squad that's coming here to kill Danny. And he says, come on, who wants to kick a little Hydra ass? So they're going to take, <laughs> take on these agents uh, of Hydra any minute now. And we switch back to Kunlun. Davos is kind of licking his wounds, laying in bed. And he just decides that, uh, you know, he, he says that he, he could kill Wendell, but, he, but he's not going to. He could just kill Wendell in his sleep at that moment, but... Instead, he's, he's going to go out, and he's going to face the dragon anyway, even though he hasn't won the tournament. Um, and they kind of give little flashbacks on Davos as he's kind of thinking about the things that have gone on as he gets to the dragon, and you see him lose the fight and, and have the you know, confrontations with Wendell. So he gets to Shaolau the Undying, which of course is the giant dragon that you have to defeat and touch the heart of to gain the power of the Iron Fist. And Davos has doubt in his heart whether he can win, and that's the that's the big no no. It, it seems like the dragon is almost kind of like a shark, like or a, or a, a rabid dog. You know, they smell the fear, and once you doubt your abilities, you're not going to be able to beat them. So then we clip away back to the heart of heaven, uh, and Davos, who reveals that he is now known as the Steel Phoenix as the immortal weapon of Kunzi, he will be taking on Tiger's beautiful daughter. 
so they have their match. And again, some cool, really nice looking fight panels of the two of them fighting. And the Tiger's beautiful daughter gets the best of Davos. She lashes at him with a whip and takes a couple of chunks out of him. He goes for an eye gouge, which was kind of like, you know, a little look into his persona, I think, of maybe not necessarily cheating, but fighting on a dirty style. Um, And of course, he's sloppy and the tiger's beautiful daughter uh takes takes his hand off and she says you know that that shot was too low to blind me and too high to block my shot you know you're a bully a child a sad tyrant not a warrior so this of course uh is going to make davos not happy but before we finish that we go back to the scene with davos and the dragon and he's trying to fight shall out to gain the power of the iron fist and um Everyone hears the, you know, back where everyone stays on Kunlun, they hear the roar of the dragon, so they know somebody's in there that shouldn't be. Uh, Le Kung tells the UT that it is Davos, um, and they're going to quickly run to try to help him. And Davos goes for the heart of the dragon, but the dragon fights back at him, knowing that he's not the right one to be the Iron Fist. And Davos is down, and the dragon looks like he's about to kill him, um, and the dragon doesn't even give him the satisfaction of killing him. He's not worthy of the dragon's killing blow. So the dragon just kind of slithers away, which makes Davos even sadder or, you know, more distraught at this point. So Wendell and Lei Kung and, and the UT and everyone finally catch up with Davos. And uh, Wendell's kind of in his face trying to help him, saying, you know, come on, can you hear me say something? And Davos spits blood right in his face. And we get this panel of a crazed Davos with blood in his eyes. Um, You know, clearly the moment that he snapped and became the killer that he is today. So with that, we clip back to the fight. And Davos is enraged at losing his hands. And he uses the chi and his power, you know, his his crane power to create a, a, a new hand. Um, not a flesh hand, but like a, you know, a, a chi hand. Um, and he executes the first steel phoenix blow and crushes the uh, tiger's beautiful daughter with it um, and continues to beat on her. And, and there's talk in the crowd. This isn't combat. You know, this is murder. Actually, Lake Kung the Thunderer says that. And Davos continues to beat on her and she yields but he says don't you dare say it and he continues to you know to just beat on her um finally the fight is stopped lakum the thunder says davos enough and davos says say it and say it loud damn you and uh lakum the thunderer kind of reluctantly declares steel phoenix wins davos is the champion um as we see some handmaids rushing to the aid of the tiger's beautiful daughter um and davos stands with his arms out in victory with his one hand missing uh so then we move on to the ut kind of confronting Lei kung the thunderer who is with the servant girl and we know now that you know the two of them are kind of in cahoots running this revolution um and he's asking where the servant girl has been and davos backs her and says she's been with me she made my breakfast she did this and that so she's been here all the time um, and UT, of course, is questioning Davos. And Davos is just playing it straight, saying, you know, whatever do you mean? Uh, I've instructed her only in the laws of Kunlun, which, of course, UT knows isn't true. Um, and the, the dialogue box is kind of 
clue us in that there is a rift in Kunlun that threatens to tear us all asunder. So there are forces at work here. You know, UT is not respected by Le Kung. They kind of know what he's up to, and he knows what they're up to, and things are going to come to a head pretty soon. We jump back to uh, the Heroes for Hire, and they're attacking the Hydra agents, and there's a pretty long battle of, uh, you know, Misty and Colleen and Luke and Danny taking on a bunch of Hydra agents. Danny's got to go back through the door into the mystical city after the fight. And uh, Misty offers to help him, but he says this is something that he needs to do alone. And it's kind of like a double meaning. You know, she wants to be with him, but he has to do this alone, which is kind of like a mirror about their relationship that's been on and off, you know, in the past. We cut back to Davos, who's celebrating his victory. Danny returns, and the UT and Le Kung are surprised to see him. They ask, where have you been? He says, healing, meditating, you know how it is. Why, Master, what have you been up to? Um, so again, we're getting the, everybody knows what the UT is up to, and it's just not out in the open yet, and things are about to uh, get to that point. And that's the end of issue 11. So I thought they were doing a pretty good job of building Davos. Um, I mean, this is really his issue. You know, they're showing, they've mapped out what it's taken to get him to this point. They've shown us how he's been like, a good kid, you know, helping Wendell Rand out and being his best friend and how it has changed and the events that have led to this killer that he is now. So I, I really enjoyed that filling in in this issue. Yeah, definitely. Kind of going back to the beginning of the issue, which you were saying before, I love that little sequence where you get that one panel and Danny's off in the distance looking at him and he goes, Hydra guy, Hydra guy, old woman, Hydra guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that was good. Kind of, you know, I can hear that, you know, almost being spoken. It's, it's Yeah, I think I really think Fraction and Brubaker have the dialogue down. I mean, these characters really sound like how I think they should. Misty and Colleen are just kind of like regular girls. You know, they have like this regular dialogue going on. And and we all know like the cool things that uh, Luke Cage says all the time. And he's done a good job of making Danny like a regular guy. We talked about it last part, too, that, you know, the whole point of this is that Danny isn't the seasoned veteran. You know, Orson is the seasoned veteran. Danny's still kind of like he's just a, you know, he's young and he's making mistakes and he doesn't know what he's getting into. So I really think the dialogue has kind of rang true with all of that. I just uh, going through these. The the art on this has been fantastic. This is the kind of art that I really, I really like. But not only that, the story's been been really good. I know you guys spoke very high, very highly of this for a while now. And I never got into this series before. I just figured it was a good place to jump in with this. Um, I had been reading New Avengers since the beginning, and when Iron Fist came into that, I was like, okay, yeah, he's, he seems pretty cool, but he's not really doing much. And at the same time, people were talking about you know, the, the, his ongoing series, and, and I was like, really? It's that good? I, I just didn't see it, and I'm regretting now not having read this from the very beginning. It's really, really good stuff. Yeah, yeah, and they didn't, um, I remember being kind of aggravated at the time, uh, reading the same New Avengers that you were, Ken, because Danny was off in the tournament, but he was still in New Avengers. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they never, they never really connected any dots, they never referenced it, they never, you know, it would have been cool in New Avengers if they were just like, you know, where have you been, Danny, and oh, yeah. out of, you know. 
and Spider-Man could have been like, that's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, they do the same thing with Spider-Man. Like, he's doing stuff in his own book with Back in Black, and meanwhile, he's off with that with the Avengers. You just got to try to figure out where things line up as best you can. And I think they're vague on that kind of stuff deliberately, so they don't time, you know, paint themselves in a corner, if you will. Absolutely. But just what you were saying, maybe that would have taken some new Avengers readers that would yeah. have said, hey, that sounds pretty good. Maybe I'll check out Iron Fist, you know? Because obviously the Avengers is a more widely read and you know book than Iron Fist, and Iron Fist is doing well enough, and it should be around for a while. But I think that was an opportunity where they could have, you know, I'm sure a lot of people were like, "You okay, Iron Fist? That's pretty cool." You know, '70s character, he's back in the Avengers. You know, move now, on. Now let me ask you this, just real quick. I don't want to take too much time away from these issues, but in, in, since you're reading both uh, in New Avengers, he didn't really do much other than straight up fight. But did they ever? Like, as he learned new abilities or did stuff like that, did they introduce him into New Avengers or anything else and have him start doing more stuff, like his healing or whatever? Or was it just pretty much straight throwing punches and using his money to fly them around? You know, I think he was real. I didn't notice it if they did, or maybe I don't remember, but I really just remember him being in the background of, like, big-scale fights, like just kicking somebody. I mean, he really seemed to be there, especially once Civil War kicked in. He was really there to replaced Tony Stark as far as their funding source. Right, right. And, and he didn't to. seem to do much more than that. Right. No, no, I think you're right. I think it was he was definitely a minor character in that. And I'm sure at the time they didn't know the like the acclaim that this series was going to get and, you know, maybe they weren't expecting it to hang around this long or whatever. He he also had some interaction with Daredevil that would account for kind of where he was at too, so yeah, absolutely, and that's added in in the uh, in the back of the omnibus, which right. is pretty cool. All right, well, thanks for yeah, the version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Spoil, but I like how it really the Davos part really is cool because it really solidifies his character and how he is and why he is the person he comes today. I mean, John, like you were mentioned in the whole, you know, when the dragon comes at him and you know basically realizes he's not worthy, and then like you're saying, doesn't even give him the satisfaction of of killing him. It's like, you know, it's like a double whammy for him. You know, he was insulted, well, really three times. One, that he, he couldn't beat Wendell Rand to, to qualify to, to go to the dragon. You know, two, the dragon attacked him back, and three, the dragon wouldn't even kill him. But that, uh, that scene where he gets his hand cut off, was that totally caught me by surprise. I wasn't, you know, I kind of saw Avos as kind of a main character and, you know, kind of breathing through the tournament almost. And right. to see him kind of have his butt handed to him a little bit and have his hand chopped off, I thought that was a really cool twist to put in there. That was a great move, and I, I loved it. And then it really seemed to put, try to put him in his place. That he just, he, no matter how much he gets beat down by, by be it Wendell or the dragon or or uh, this this girl, the uh, tiger's, tiger's beautiful daughter. Thank you. Um, he he does, does doesn't get it. He doesn't get that he's not worthy. That he's not he's not everything he thinks he is or thinks he deserves. And um, he he just lets his anger all out, which he does in the next, next couple of pages with with uh, Tiger's beautiful daughter. You know, lets it all out. But uh, as we move into the next issue, uh, he gets it. He gets it right back. Proven, proven that you know he he's just inexperienced and just naive and just young and isn't as good as he thinks he is. Right. Yeah, they've done a good job of villainizing him. Really, I mean, even the you know, just going for the the, the eye gouge and stuff. I mean. <laughs> It's that's really dirty fighting, is what that's. Yeah, it's like grab yeah. grab a fistful of sand and throw it in her face while you're at it. Right. 
and then having him get one up on his father. You know, his father has to actually call out his name as a champ. You know, I thought that was really cool. And Lei Kung the Thunderer is just a cool character. Um, he's trying to do right by his son, even though his son is like obviously a complete jerk and monster. Um, we know from the other one shots that he's like taking in, you know, strays and, and, and people to train. You know, he took in Wendell, obviously, uh, when Wendell was half dead and lost to train him. And, you know, he's just a good character, Lei Kung. And, and obviously he's taking care of this uh, servant girl as well. Yeah, and I'm looking, I'm, 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 it's looking like Orson and, uh, and Thunderer were, were themselves friends and they both wanted the best for their quote their sons is quote unquote meaning you know, meaning Wendell in the case of uh of Orson neither wanted the other to wanted their their son or ward to be iron fist right uh they didn't want that for them but um at this point up until this point they really don't go into the, the why on that and and then thunderer continues his oath to his friend who he was happy to hear he was alive by watching over his daughter right Yep, there's definitely a lot of levels of, uh, of story going on here. Okay, so issue 12, it starts off with Wendell on his big day. Um, he's defeated Davos, so now he's going to go and, and march to the dragon and see if he can defeat Xiao Lao. So there's a few pages of that. Here's a, um, sorry, here's a point where, I, where we find out that it wasn't the same UT um, in Wendell's time as it is in oh, right, Dana, that's correct. Dana's time. Yep. I'm glad you pointed that out. Yep, but two on was the old UT, and Nuon is his son, which is the current UT uh, for Danny when we go to the current side of the story. And going back to the annual, Tuon is who we saw, who, did, who, who uh, Orson saw in his flashback, uh, walking around the city and finding out about the Randall machine at that point. Wendell makes his way to the dragon, and right before he, or just as he's opening the door to face the dragon, he gets these flashbacks of Orson telling him, Kun Lun will kill you. You can never be the immortal Iron Fist. If you try, you will die. And it puts that doubt into Wendell's heart. Right. And he hesitates. And that, as we know, does not work when you're facing Shao Lao. But we're left with that little bit of a cliffhanger as we cut to Kun Lun now. And the Thunderer and the Servant Girl have taken Danny underground uh, to show him something. And they're explaining that they're planning this revolution against UT to finally end these crazy, you, you know, these customs and, and these, this lying and everything that doesn't have to be the way that it is. And they have this revolution that they want to start. And Danny says, uh, if you're talking about a revolution, you're going to need an army. The, the Thunderer says, quite. And uh, when you flip the page, you see that he is, in fact, training an army. He's training the women of of uh, Kun Lun, and uh, of course, Danny exclaims, <laughs> "Holy crap!" <laughs> Which again is pretty uh, is pretty good dialogue. You know, you know, every, sorry to interrupt again, but he's he's every other page he's trying to like you know you know be the Zen master, be the Iron Fist, and then he's like, "Holy crap!" Yeah, you know, just all that New York comes back into him. Yep. So they kind of get into a little bit of history of how the Thunderer has been training the women in the in the martial arts to. And they've obviously, um, they've been the ones that have been held down the most by the way things are run in, in Kunlun now because we've, we've gotten the little looks in the, in the past that they, you know, they're not allowed to be trained. They're all servant girls and uh, it's obviously like a very strict living style for them. 
Um, so they would benefit probably the most out of the citizens of Kunlun if, if, if there was a revolution. Um, so they definitely have motivation to, to follow the Thunderer uh, in this. So Danny tells him it gets worse. Uh, a man named Zhao on Earth wants to destroy Kunlun from the outside in. So the Thunderer says, you worry about the without and we'll worry about the within. And Danny says, I came here to fight in a kung fu tournament and instead I find myself in a revolution. And the Thunderer says, well, you know, history does not ask permission when it decides to change course. So they have this job that they're going to try to get done in the midst of the tournament. And we go to the tournament and the fight is supposed to be Fat Cobra and the Prince of Orphans. So he's supposed to fight Fat Cobra, but as the Prince of Orphans takes off his hood and we get to see a look at his face... Uh, he says that he'd rather fight the Steel Phoenix if that's allowed. And, of course, everybody says, great, you know, go for it. So he wants to try to teach the Steel Phoenix yeah. a lesson after what he did to the uh, tiger's beautiful daughter, which we see she's not looking too beautiful at the moment. Um, she's covered pretty much completely in bandages. Now, other than – uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I say, other than just seeing this guy, you know, completely beat down and, you know, I don't know if they're, they're wounds or wrinkles or he's old or whatever, are we supposed to recognize him at this point or? No. Okay. Nope. We're, just, we're just finally seeing his face is all. And- right. Yeah. We're just seeing his face and he's a, uh, looks like he's a bald guy with some serious scars or, or wrinkles or something going on. He's been around a while. Uh, so Davos, of course, accepts and he goes at it. He says he fears old men even less than painted whores. So there's stay classy, Davos. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, the Prince of Orphans tells him to shut up, child, and they begin to fight. And the Prince of Orphans immediately turns into the green mist. He changes into a, into a cloud form, and he just starts whipping Davos' behind with all of these different shots. And he begins to talk to him that this is a tournament. And men like ourselves are nothing without rules. So he's kind of giving him a lesson that, you know, you got to follow the rules in this tournament or there's going to be hell to pay. And he's talking, of course, about the damage that he did in his last fight to uh, Tiger's beautiful daughter. And he says, listen, I'm going to teach you something about having a code. And Danny's, they show Danny and Fat Cobra in the audience saying, and Danny's saying, what the hell? And he's, uh, Cobra doesn't know what's going on either. Danny says it can't be good. So we don't actually hear what he says to Davos, but Davos stands up and says he's unconscious, so he yields automatically, and he kind of proclaims to everybody that they're going to follow the rules and traditions of this tournament, or uh, you know he's going to have a problem with everyone who obviously uh, he can obviously do some damage himself. So there's a shot of all the Iron Fists kind of looking on intently as he speaks, and we clip to the evening festival where they're eating dinner. And all of the weapons are kind of wondering why the Prince of Orphans won't sit with them. And they kind of nudge Danny into going up to ask him to eat with them. Uh, in the meantime, Fat Cobra tries to put a move on Tiger's beautiful daughter <laughs> with the old yawn and arm outstretch <laughs> move, <laughs> which I appreciated. Danny goes over to the Prince of Orphans and says, uh, you know, we'd like you to join us at the other table and... The Prince of Orphans tells him away, and Danny just kind of walks away, and he says uh, the Prince of Orphans apparently has no use for new friends. So he's still kind of mysterious at this point. Uh, we clip back to 
The Heroes for Hire taking on a ton of Hydra agents, and they're kind of ticked that Danny left. Um, there's Hydra agents flying in from everywhere, and they eventually are captured. Um, looks like Zhao has some kind of power cuffs or something to to hold them down. He says, uh, sorry how ridiculous they look, your restraints, but it's the only way he could stop them from uh, from attacking. And he says he'd offer them cocoa otherwise if their hands weren't completely uh, covered by these cuffs that they're in. Um, so Zhao's kind of like a strange character. Continues to be very quirky. Um, he explains that he's going to load them all in the train with the explosives and drive them into the Kunlun to destroy it. Um, so that's his plan, to drive the train into Kunlun with the explosives like a giant missile and, uh, and destroy the entire city. Um, in the meantime... The Thunderer visits Davos, who can barely speak. He's apparently had like all his teeth knocked out. Again, the Thunderer's trying to be the, you know, he's the good person. He's trying to help Davos. Davos doesn't want any part of it. And the Thunderer says, well, we have this revolution going on, and I'd like to know whose side you're on. And Davos says, you know, the side I'm always on, mine. So we cut back to Davos uh, in the past. Wendell has returned from his meeting with Shalau. And he tells Davos that he couldn't do it, you know, in hope to get support from his friend or maybe even relate with his friend. You know, that Davos just kind of had the same experience. And Davos, of course, laughs at uh, Wendell saying, you know, you ran. And, and he's just getting a good laugh at Wendell. And this ticks off Wendell pretty good. And they have a little bit of a fight in the, uh, in the area where they stay. Um, all this anger is coming out of the both of them. Wendell's saying, I'll kill you. And Davos is saying, it should have been me. You know, it should have been me that was the winner that was going to be the Iron Fist. You haven't worked for anything. You haven't earned any of this. So again, the whole thing of Wendell being the outlander and Davos' jealousy. Wendell leaves because he's not going to fight Davos anymore. He, he realizes that on this night, Kunlun makes its once-a-decade intersection with the Earth. So this is the day that Wendell can escape. So this is finally the answer. The big question up until this point has been, why wasn't Wendell Rand an Iron Fist? And now we learn that the, the doubt that Orson put in his head led him to just not have the courage to face Shalau. Um, and after this final confrontation with Davos, it uh, looks like Wendell's headed to leave the city. So now we clip to Current, and Danny is asking the servant girl, who still has no name, you know, what she's going to do when she is free. And she says, anything I like, you know, isn't that what freedom is supposed to mean? And Danny says that he realizes here that, you know, she was kind of using him to get all this done. Um, that, that his presence in the tournament was a good distraction um, but he kind of understands that, you know, she was doing what she had to do. And Danny says, don't worry, you know, I'll win this war for you. Danny goes back to meditating with the Book of the Iron Fist. And the Prince of Orphans shows up. And Danny says, I've been reading about the time, life and times of Orson Randall. And you, you pop up from time to time in that book. Um, and the Prince of Orphans shows the mark of the Thunderer on his chest. And he says that Orson told him that if he showed that to Danny, that Danny would know that he was on his side. Um, so they shake hands, and the, 
the Prince of Orphans says, my name is John Amon. Are you ready to fight a revolution? Uh, and that is the end of the issue. So it looks like we're about to get into the big revolution that's been building up for a bunch of issues. I really dug the Prince of Orphans power that he's the mist. So again, another cool immortal weapon that they could really build on if they go back and tell some stories. Yeah. I think in, I think in this month's previews, there's uh, the next Immortal Weapons 5 of 5 is about him. Yeah, yeah, I think they saved him for last. Yeah, they solicited that now. And they're going to get into him in a little bit, which is cool. They went to another one-shot next, which is the uh, Orson Randall and the Green Mist of Death, which is where we get to learn about Mr. Ramon a little bit. Otherwise, in this issue, I mean, they are, again, they gave us the big, you know, reveal and the backstory of why Wendell is not an Iron Fist. They still have to, they could probably finish that off as Wendell starts to leave the city. Otherwise, some, some good action with the Hydra agents. I noticed the, um, did you notice the art style change when the Heroes for Hire fight all of the Hydra agents? Yeah. It's pretty interesting. More- it went to a little cartoony look. Yeah. I'm looking at 12 and 14. No, it looks like he's he's still the penciler. Looks like 14. There's a different penciler, but yeah, the um, the top panel where they're all kind of silhouettes with the red eyes. Yeah, that was very like uh, animation style, and uh, even the faces on um, on Colleen as they're kind of like trapping them and putting the cuffs and the restraints on them. Just a little bit of a different look there. Yeah. It didn't bother me or anything. I just noticed that it was a little bit of a different style. Yeah. I, uh, one of the things I noticed with, uh, with John Amon is he looks, to me, he looks like Bruce Willis. The way he's, he's drawn, I don't know what it is, but it, it reminds me a lot of Bruce Willis, the bald head and just kind of the rough. The Die Hard 4 rough. Bruce Willis? Yeah. Do yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, Die Hard 4, like Unbreakable, you know, that, that kind of Bruce Willis. And I love the scene at the, at the beginning where Wendell's going to to, to see um, Shao Lao, and the blood is still there, the blood stain is still there from when Davos went and saw him. I thought that was a cool touch to see that still at the, at the foot of the gate there. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think whole, I caught that. Yeah, the whole presence of Wendell, I mean, in all these panels, he's, he's at the very center of the panel, you know, on the first page, we get a lot of widescreen type shots, and he's, he's like at the very center. He's got a, like a cape on him, very regal. Um, you know, it's almost like he's, you know, the chosen one of the king going to, to accept his reward. And so it's even more, to me, it was even more accentuated when he gets, he gets to that point, and you know, basically the fear sets in, and he, and he decides to run. I just thought that was, that was, that was interesting. And then the, uh, on Amon fights Davos, I love the, the we get that middle um, panel where we get the response of all the immortal weapons. They're all just staring at it like just completely speechless except for the nine spiders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like they don't know what to make of you know what just happened. And I, th- I think it's pretty poignant too that, uh, what is it, uh, the Emperor's, is it Emperor's beautiful daughter? Tigers. Tigers beautiful daughter, sorry. Um, you know, I would assume that she would have healing powers just like the rest of them seem to have. And the fact that she's still having to be bandaged up, presumably after trying to heal herself, is pretty 
it kind of puts, you know, the exclamation point on the end to show that she's pretty messed up. Yeah, and they haven't they haven't actually said that every uh, weapon has the healing power. Right. Um, I, I, does does uh, Davos say that? Because Davos is kind of lying in bed. He just says he, he says, leave me to heal. Doesn't necessarily say he's using any power or magic tree, right. whatever. Right. But and, he's, and, he's healing. Right. And Danny, when he's healing, he's kind of like in this meditative state. Right. Whereas Davos yeah. is just kind of like sprawled out in bed. Um, Slurring his words because his mouth is all swelled. Yeah, yeah. So it could be an iron fist power, you know, from that chi. I don't know that anyone's ever um, definitely healed that wasn't an iron fist, but it's possible. It's just something that they haven't gotten to explaining, I guess, yet. Yeah. Okay, so next we go to a one-shot. Uh, the Immortal Iron Fist, Orson Randall, and the Green Mist of Death. So again, they're going to kind of tie in. Uh, we just found out that the Prince of Orphans is John Amon, um, and he has this mist power. He can change into this green mist, which he just used against Davos. Um, so the one shot's kind of relevant. It, uh, it, it's going to tell us some backstory about uh, the green mist of death now that we've just learned about him. I'm going to skim through it quickly. It's kind of a wild issue. There's a bunch of different art styles. It, it, it goes back in time with Orson and his kind of band of characters. Um, that that we had mentioned earlier. Um, and Amon is after Orson. Again, the bounty is on Orson's head for leaving the city and killing an immortal weapon. So Amon is, is one of the characters that's after Orson. So there's a chase through some different landscapes, and they, and they meet up with uh, some cowboys and girls, if you will. And, and they, they have some interesting kind of in, encounters. And eventually Amon does catch up with, with Orson. Um, so they have kind of a throwdown, and he turns into the mist, and uh, you know Orson gets some shots in as well. Um, again, Amon talks about a code. As Orson helps heal one of his friends that was injured, Chores, who we talked about also, Amon says that you know there is a code, and using your friends as shields violates that code. And Amon is not evil, no matter what Orson may think of him. And when you're allowed to get your friends involved with this war between immortal weapons, you're putting them in danger. So he's kind of like giving Orson the, the lowdown here that he's really just after him, you know, because of the code and, and Orson should be more careful. So it seems that Wendell is injured in, in these fights and Orson is taking him to an old doctor that uh, his father knew um, and and they meet up with like a Frankenstein type monster, and it seems that this friend of Phineas Randall is kind of like a mad scientist type. Um, the weird thing about it is he seems to be a kid, so there's definitely some weird time stuff going on, um, or some mystical things. Um, and what happens here is. It seems that somewhere along the way, and they haven't gotten into this yet either, but Wendell has stolen these mystical coins, and each coin is from one of the seven cities of heaven. So there's a coin from Kunlun and a coin from Kunzi and so on. Uh, they're worth nothing really in the mystical cities. They're a penny each, but on Earth, they're of course priceless because they're from these realms that you know are, only exist on the Earth plane you know, once every 10 years. So 
Wendell has these coins in his power, and as Wendell's kind of dying before they're sure if this doctor is going to be able to help him, he tells uh, Orson that he wants him to have his coins. And Orson's telling him, don't worry about it, pal. You know, you'll be in better shape in no time with these coins jingling in your pocket where they belong. And right at that point, the Frankenstein monster who greeted them earlier uh, smacks Orson on the back of the head, and he wakes up on an operating table. And it seems that this doctor that they went to for help um, is actually like a crazy mad scientist, and he's going to experiment on Orson Randall. Um, shocker, you know, that a guy with a Frankenstein monster is a crazy scientist, but Orson felt that it was somebody they could trust earlier. Um, so just as this mad scientist is about to use a buzzsaw and open up Orson's head, we see the green mist growing behind him. Um, and it's John Amon, of course, and he overtakes the doctor by flying up his nose and in his mouth with his green mist, and that puts him out of commission. Um, Orson says, how did you find us here? And Amon says, the coins. I've been following the coins. Each of them is from a different dimension, so each of them vibrates in a very unique way to me, and all I did was follow the vibrations. So Amon was able to come and uh, save the two of them, Turns out that the Frankenstein monster is not such a bad guy after all. He's just kind of uh, misguided. Um, so Amon is going to help fix up Wendell, which he does. And so kind of before they part, Amon says, basically, you know, we're not friends and consider this fair warning. Nothing you love is safe from me anymore. So Amon will still do what he has to do to take Orson down. And Orson says, John, have you ever wondered who the coins came from? Did you ever ask yourself how those coins got out of the seven cities? Uh, you know, they're rotating out of this plane of existence, but yet they've all ended up on Earth. So he kind of puts that seed into John's head, you know, t telling him how could all of these coins ended up on Earth if nobody is supposed to be traveling to and from. So Orson kind of rides away, and uh, later on he gets... Somebody running up to his door, and Orson is, of course, drunk. Um, and it seems that you're, it's a telegram, sir. It came from France. Somewhere in Paris, your father is on his deathbed. So Orson has to go. He visits some of his father's uh, friends, the Contessa, and he asks them for help. He needs to find out what hospital his father is in. Turns out his father is in a Hydra hospital. He catches a glimpse of a little Hydra ring on one of the nurse's fingers. So Orson sneaks in the window to talk to his father. It turns out that it was a setup, and the green mist is in the room in like a little vial. Uh, he opens up the vial. He talks to John Amon. Um, your father's illness was beyond terminal, even for medical technologies. So he's kind of explaining what happened to his father. And, and he's going to fake. What happens is he fakes taking Orson in so that he can take him to see his father one last time. So, so John Amon is pretending that he's apprehending Orson when he's actually going to bring Orson to where his father really is. So Orson gets one last talk with his father and before he passes away, and his father talks about... Uh, he, another important point here, his father tells them that he built one portal for each city of heaven. So there isn't just a portal in Kunlun leading to Earth. There's a portal from all of the capital cities of heaven. 
that lead to Earth. And this is where keeping it a secret and keeping it running is where this gigantic fortune came from. So again, we're getting another clue into the backstory. Um, we knew that Orson funded Wendell and Danny originally, but we didn't know where Orson got it all from. And his father got the fortune by creating and running these portals through all of the uh, mystical cities. So after giving him that information, his father dies. This is when Orson says to John, you know, what's next for you? And John says he wants to go back, you know, to Kunlun and find out what the deal is with all of these portals and who's going back and forth. Um, it goes back to those coins. How did they get on Earth if nobody's traveling back and forth? And this is when Orson gives John the symbol of the Thunderer and says, you know, bring this to him and he'll know that you're with me. So that's, that goes back to the scene where John shows the symbol to Danny so that Danny knows that he is on the side of the Thunderer as well. And uh, that's where they kind of part ways for the end of that one shot. So again, it was kind of a weird story. It bounced around a lot and it had some weird elements, but the important part being that we found out a little bit more about the fortune, we found out a little bit more about John Amon, and we found out uh, how he knew the Thunderer and had the symbol on him. So again, they're using these to keep tying things in rather than being throwaways. Yeah, I mean, I, I like this one overall. Uh, I think the big thing with this one, just like we saw kind of with the annual, is the different art styles. And I know Mike Allred, you know, some folks love Mike Allred. Some folks can take it or leave it, and I think some folks don't care for it at all. So it's definitely a different style. I mean, Mike Allred's one of those artists where when you look at a page, you can definitely tell it's Mike Allred. Um, right. And, and this issue, you know, the first, you know, I don't know, 12 or so pages of this issue are no exception. Um, they're just a, very wildly different styles um, as they go through each, you know, portion of the, of the story. You know, overall, I think it was good. You know, again, like we're saying, it kind of adds to the it builds that backstory to to move things along. I thought the old west, you know, thing was kind of cool, almost kind of like a Lone Ranger and Tonto kind of kind of thing going on there. And then kind of the reveal, I guess, later on that you know it wasn't Frankenstein's son that was building this monster. It was I guess, Frankenstein himself who I, I guess figured out a way or had a way of putting his own brain into a younger body to, you know, basically give himself immortality. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but just the whole way that, um, that John Amon through the green mist can kind of basically take over bodies, you know, <laughs> you know, kind of exist inside of other folks and things like that. I thought was interesting. And then again, you know, like you're saying, John, the whole putting doubt into everybody's head is to, well, if nobody's supposed to be going, you know, flipping back and forth, you know, between these cities, you know, how, how are all these things, you know, appearing? I thought that was, you know, a key piece to the story, you know, to kind of, again, put doubt into folks' heads. So, yeah, overall, pretty good. Issue 13, we have Danny walking up to the gates of Kunlun. He's about to get himself out after failing with Shalau. He has uh, Lake Kung the Thunderer. D Danny or Wendell? Oh, Wendell, I'm oh. sorry. Wendell, yes. You know, of course, Lake Kung the Thunderer wants to know why. Uh, Wendell says, because I'm not the Iron Fist. Uh, he doesn't give up Orson. You know, he, he, uh, the Thunderer asks, well, where are you going to go? And he says, I don't know. What are you looking for? I don't know, but I'll tell you if I find it. Uh, Wendell knows all along exactly what, what he's headed out to do. 
Um, he says he has still another dragon to face, which we can assume is Orson Randall. Um, so now we go back to Jaren and the train. Um, kind of like the same scene, you know, that now they're loading his mom onto the train. So Jaren's kind of freaking out. Um, and they're getting ready to blow this train into, into Kunlun. Um, Mr. Zhao is, is sort of got Jaren's mother around, you know, around the shoulders saying, oh, don't worry, Mr. Hogarth, uh, her accident aside, she'll be well treated, um, you know, until midnight. And if my train isn't ready, I'm going to shoot her in front of you and then I'll shoot you next. Uh, so the, so the mother's kind of horrified about the whole thing. She's bandaged up, of course, because her finger was sent to Jaren earlier in the book. So Jaren is still, you know, kind of freaking out. He's not sure what to do. He knows he's building this train to be like a bomb, basically. Uh, but they have his mother. Luke is trying to comfort him, saying it'll be okay and that Danny has a plan. And Jaren says, great. You know what the most four terrifying words in the English language are? Danny has a plan. Which they kind of play on that in the next couple of pages, which is pretty cool. So now we go back to the heart of heaven. Looks like Danny is uh, on his way to confront the UT. And, uh, you know, they, they kind of have some, uh, your, you know, he tells him, your fortune was the root of my father's fortune. I know all about it, Nuan. I know all about it. So he's, he's coming clean with Nuan and telling him that he knows all about him, you know, using all the portals and, and doing whatever he wants and how he tells everyone, you know, that they can't leave, but yet he leaves whenever he wants and how his father ruled with such compassion and, and he's selfish and not doing right by the, by his people. Um, he tells him you need to confess your sins or I'm going to tell everybody about what's going on. And, uh, he says, I'll take my chances in the court of public opinion, iron fist. Uh, so Danny kind of leaves there. Uh, the UT immediately says that he wants terror priests and he wants them to destroy the Randall Gate. Uh, if the terror priests can destroy the Randall Gate, then then uh, when Danny tells everybody what UT's been doing, uh, there'll be no Randall Gate to prove it, which will kind of discredit his whole story. Um, Danny knew it was coming. He's watching on with the uh, servant girl and... Lake Kung the Thunderer, and as the terror priests go to destroy the gate, Danny says, and there they go. But Danny has a plan, of course. He tells uh, Lake Kung, don't worry, trust me, I have a plan. And Lake Kung says, those words do not exactly fill me with confidence. <laughs> so they're playing off that same, uh, that same line about Danny saying he has a plan. As the servant girl runs off to get this revolution underway, Danny asks, her name, she says she never had a name because she was born illegitimately and into the servant caste. Uh, she was never granted a name. Uh, Danny says, you should really pick one. Your revolution has arrived. And she says, those are the four most beautiful words in the English language. Now we go back to the immortal weapons, having a meal and a bunch of laughs. It seems like Fat Cobra and, and uh, Dog Brother tell some good stories. Um, even... The Bride of Nine Spiders seems to be laughing. Uh, Davos isn't laughing. He's got one hand and a lot of bandages <laughs> at this point. Um, so John Amon comes to them and says, I have a proposition for you. He says, I have a war to fight, and I want you to fight it with me. And he sits down with the immortal weapons, and he begins to explain about Zhao wanting to destroy the city. The tiger's beautiful daughter says, what does that mean for Kunlun? And he continues to explain, and Davos gets angry and says lies and storms off. 
and they ask if I'm the one lying, Davos, you know, who are you rushing to confront? And it turns out he's rushing to confront his father and ask him, you know, you don't really believe these guys and you're not really going to go on with this revolution, are you? And Le Kung, he goes on to explain to Davos that he's really the one that's been the fool here and that, you know, the UT and the Crane Mother and, and all of these people have been using Davos and, you know, Le Kung's really the only one that's on his side. So, of course, this angers Davos and they have kind of a fight. Um, with some spears and stuff, and uh, they continue to talk about what's going on while they fight. He says, Crane Mother, Zao, they've both betrayed you. That's what this really is about, isn't it? You finally met your treacherous match, and you can't believe you've been bested. Davos won't give in. He says, lies, more lies. Is it possible that just once in your life, maybe there's something that you don't know, like uh, Kung asks, and Davos says, no. So Kung kind of leaves and says, you know where we'll be, and... Uh, you know, if you want to help us fight, he says, you're liars, all of you, damn you all to hell. So Davos doesn't, isn't ready to join the revolution at this point, it doesn't seem. Uh, then we cut back to Wendell leaving Kunlun. He's riding a horse. Um, he's barging into different bars and places and beating people up, asking where's Orson Randall. Finally, he finds Orson, and Orson is, ha- is already in the state of you know, he's drugged up right now and he, he's using the drugs at this point to forget everything that he's done in all the wars and, and everything. And um, he's barely coherent at all. Uh, that's how Wendell finds him. Um, then we cut back to Zhao. He's firing up the train. They can see the mystical city. He's saying Kunlun is mine. They're getting ready to shoot that train of explosives into the city. And, of course, Misty says, uh, you know Danny wanted this, right? Danny wanted you to get in. Why on earth would he want uh, me to get in? And then the last page of the issue is, so we can get out, you dumb son of a bitch. And uh, behind Danny are all of the uh, immortal weapons. So he's got an army of immortal weapons now to fight. Uh, Zhao opened the portal for him so that he could get all these people through to fight. Uh, and Misty says, my boyfriend and his secret army are going to kill you now, Zal. And that's the end of the issue. So again, now this is really, we're getting to the final chapter. Um, you know, we've had this second running story in the background of Wendell and Davos and everything. And we kind of got the book closed on Davos when he freaked out and became evil. Uh, now we're starting to close the book on Wendell as he has escaped and he finds... Orson and you know you can see that there's going to be some compassion coming from Wendell he was very angry at Orson and who knows what he had planned but now that he sees the state that Orson's in he's probably uh make amends with him but we'll find out any comments on this issue or should we keep rolling on so we can bang through yeah, the end of this I mean I think it's you know pretty straightforward issue you know not a whole lot of subtext not a whole lot going on I the, the interesting thing is Tiger's beautiful daughter seems to be healing along somewhat quickly now. She, she's got a black eye and a busted nose, but um, not bandaged, you know, top to bottom on her face. So she seems to be... I, I can't believe that that much time has taken place. It kind of leans credence to the fact that these guys heal pretty quick, whether it's mystical, you know, whether they actually have the power to heal or whether just by the nature of the, you know, the, they're their... They're, city's champion they, they have accelerated healing yeah i think there's definitely some uh, some mystical ability there i mean even at the dinner dinner table she's down to just like a a bandage on her nose and a black eye so she's she's coming along nicely and they've also they've also met um mentioned before that time in kunlun and the mystical cities moves differently 
Um, so that could that could play a part into it too. Right. Uh, but they, yeah, I'm sure they all have some kind of healing ability. And just that whole that last page, that mostly big splash panel there was pretty sweet. With you know, Danny standing there with the iron fist going and the mortal weapon behind him, I just thought that was a cool way to yeah. end the machine. I love I love that. My boyfriend is secret armor going to kill you now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed the. Um, the little comedic undertones, you know, it's not, it, it's a, like we've been saying, it's a great story. It's a good book, but it's not too serious for itself. You know, there's, yep. there's a lot of good dialogue. There's a lot of comic relief. And, uh, I think they bounce back and forth nicely with it. Yeah. Well, even some of the dialogue, like we've talked in some other books about how the dialogue didn't seem like it fit the mood of where you were. Here we got these immortal weapons doing out and you had, you know, fat Cobra doing the, uh, the arm stretch move. And uh, there's a line in this issue that just kind of jumped out at me. Maybe it was in a previous issue that that one of them said. It's like, what do you like? I forget what, it was, but it, it's just the dialogue just didn't seem to match what you think you would have uh, heard from a bunch of uh, you know kung fu mysticals and masters, whatever you want to call them. Right. I like when um, John Amon wants to sit down to talk to them about the revolution, and uh, Fat Cobra pushes. Uh, the broad and spiders out of the way. Move, woman, move. The Prince of Orphans wishes to sit, and he kind of shoves her out of the way. Pretty funny. I like Fat Cobra. Yeah. Okay, so issue 14 uh, starts off with the flashback. Wendell's trying to help out Orson, and Orson is so out of it that he doesn't even recognize him. Um, he's asking, who are you? Uh, is that you, Wendell? He says, you know, that's right, old man, after all these years. And they kind of get into... You know, I thought I, Wendell's saying, I came here to kill you. How can you be this weak? And he's like, kill me. Why? And, and Wendell kind of explains that, you know, you put the you poisoned my dreams. You put the fear in my heart that wouldn't allow me to be the Iron Fist. And Orson explains to him, listen, you know, the Iron Fist's life, it isn't a gift. It's a curse. And it's all about war and fighting and death and you know, I did that because I was looking out for you. You know, I don't want you to be the Iron Fist. Um, and then it cuts away. And uh, again, Zhao is now yelling, Kun Lun is revealed, attack. Put the hostages in the train. He's trying to get this done quickly now before the immortal weapons uh, can stop him. So Danny kind of gives out some orders. And there's a bunch of pages of great fight. You have... Uh, the heroes for hire figuring out a way to fight with their restraints on, you know, they're whacking Hydra agents over the head with their handcuffs. A lot of shots being fired. Then we flip over to the immortal weapons and Danny is figuring out how to take the magnetic force of the train and channel his chi into it. So he can fire himself into the train in the opposite direction using the magnetic force uh, he calls himself a human bullet, and he's pretty sure that it's going to destroy him, this move. And he says, it was a nice train. I'll just have to build another one. Uh, and Danny rockets himself into the train as it's headed towards um, the city. And there's a giant explosion that takes up most of a double-page spread. Um, Zhao is saying, no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> Fat Cobra is saying, yes, marvelous. The gateway has been closed. Uh, let us not let Daniel Rand down. Uh, turns out Danny is okay. Uh, he looks like he's almost burnt to a crisp, but uh, he's made it out of there in decent shape. 
And now all the all the immortal weapons go to work on the Hydra agents. Again, we get some really cool names of moves by Fat Cobra, Dog Brother, Tiger's Beautiful Daughter, um, the Blood Hunger's Blade, the Exquisite Speed Release, and the Stabbing Newlywed. Some of the moves that they throw down. Uh, Brighter Nine Spiders with the Vaulting Mantis Spine Snap. Uh, we got Prince of Orphans in there too. So, uh, And Lei Kung really has no... Immortal weapon power, but he's in there just uh, using his martial arts skill. Zhao is making one last-ditch effort. He wants to go in through the back door of the, the other Randall Gate. He says, tonight we tear Kunlun apart brick by b- brick or blood will soak the soil. And uh, Zhao's got like a little lightning or something in his eyes, so he's definitely got a mystical kind of aura to him. Um, we clip back to Kun Loon. Davos is uh, sitting and talking to himself. He's obviously not happy about the way this has gone down. He catches the UT running somewhere out the window. So now he's going to chase him and see what he's up to. The UT is kind of pushing people out of his way to get to the gate. Uh, he's going to try to escape before it all comes crashing down on him. Davos catches him before he leaves. And then we, we see the, uh, the servant girl who has her army there anyway that was going to stop UT from ever getting out. And they cut the hood off of them uh, and call them Nuan. So they've basically stripped the title of UT from them. Um, and he says, our revolution is at hand. Um, and she says Davos to just stay where he is. She's keeping an eye on him. And he says he means them no harm. So maybe Davos has kind of finally come around at this point. And we get some more Hydra agents yelling, Hail Hydra. They're going to make another attempt to get in through that back door. Uh, and Davos helps the army of women fight and take care of them. And she's yelling, push them back through the Randall Gate. So they're going to force these Hydra agents back out to the earth from where they came. And then they're going to have to deal with the immortal weapons that are outside. Um, and again, more pages of a pretty big battle between all the Hydra agents and the terror priests and um, all our heroes. We get some nice sword work by Misty Knight um, and Colleen Wing. Well, I should say the sword work is by Colleen Wing. Misty Knight's just kind of shooting and punching and kicking like she does best. Um, they're trying to get them to let go of Jaren's mother finally. And in a, in a pretty cool scene, Misty says, you might... We might not be able to, you know, to get through this alive, but we promise you that before we die, we'll blind one of you, we'll kill two of you, and three of you will never have children. And the Hydra agents that are left kind of run away and leave Jaren's mother in the snow there on the ground. So they got their point across. Again, a giant double-page spread of the fight that's going on and all the moves being used. Really nice art there of all the Iron Fists fighting together against the Hydra agents. Finally, Danny has Zhao cornered and says, you're out of moves. Surrender. Zhao says, never. Zhao says, I'll be avenged. He's like, he said, Danny says, there's no one left to avenge you. Zhao says, oh, there's an eighth city, Daniel Rand. And then he jumps off the bridge that he built for the train, seemingly to his death. So he dropped that one information bomb before he, before he killed himself, that there's an eighth city. Um, this is again where we clip back to Wendell and Orson uh, Wendell saying, you know, you've never given, you never gave me a chance to do this again. Orson saying, because I wanted you to have, you know, to have a life, not to live as an iron fist. 
And uh, there's kind of a little flashback to when Orson was fighting in World War One, and there's all the carnage on the ground and the flames and the planes in the air. And as he's telling him, you know, he's trying to save him. He wasn't trying to stop him from his dream. He was trying to save his life because the Iron Fist is a is a curse. And he tells him that he also knew that, you know, the Iron Fists can sense each other. And he always knew that Wendell wasn't one of them and that his son would be one. And Wendell kind of questions my son because, of course, Danny isn't born at this point. Um, so that's the first mention of a son to Wendell. So now we clip back and Lei Kung is asking Danny if he will, uh, what's he going to, you know, is he going to come back to Kunlun? Danny says, I think you know the answer to that. He has work to do here on Earth. And he, and he says to Lei Kung, you know, shouldn't you be the new UT? And he would think that the uh, servant girl would be the new Thunderer. And they are both, of course, flattered, and, and they're going to do their best to take on that task when they, when they go back to Kunlun. Uh, Davos is on his knees praying for forgiveness of the terrible things he's done. Lei Kung, of course, takes him back and says, come with us and your fate will be found there. And it seems as though the immortal weapons are going to stick around the Earth realm because they want to find out what's you know, the deal with this eighth city, if there's any truth to it or not. So they're going to stay on Earth. And we go to Kunlun then, and we find that Thunderer has given Davos the job of protecting the new Shao Lao egg. So the next Shao Lao, the Undying, is to be born from this egg, and it'll be Davos' job to protect it as it, as it grows um, from anyone that might try to uh, attack it. Davos says, for how long? And he says, uh, Lei Kung says, long enough, son, for you to find some solace. So this is going to kind of be Davos's therapy to sit and guard the egg. And then we get a great page of the immortal weapons standing out on the top of the Rand building, looking out at the limitless possibilities and adventures in Earth. And Danny says, welcome home. And that's the end of issue 14. So we got most of our closure. We got Davos's punishment. Uh, Zhao falls to his death, but not before getting us ready for the next story arc, saying that there is an eighth city. And we got a great, great action uh, in this issue, I thought. There was, I'd say half of it was all of the fight, um, which was cool. It was a nice change of pace. The art in the fight is fantastic. I think they've, from the beginning, Aja's done a great job of uh, choreographing these fights. So I really enjoyed this last, uh, it's not the last issue, but it kind of wrapped everything up. Yeah, a lot of I, one of the cool things with this is finally after you know 14 issues in the series, we finally get that you know Matrix Keanu Reeves Neo the One kind of moment from from Danny Rand where you know when he hits the train and you know basically falls still intact, fists glowing, you know chest symbol glowing and everything, and then they all just start to kick kick the series butt. So I thought that was cool to see it all kind of culminating you know in this in this issue with the big battle and the whole, the whole eight city thing I thought was really cool to kind of throw that in there at the end. Um, I didn't see that one coming at all. Yeah, definitely. It was a, it was a nice surprise and it, it was kind of cool because, you know, I know that they're starting a new arc, which we're, we're going to go through issue 16, uh, that kind of sets you up for the next arc. But it's still the thread that's being carried over from the first arc. You know, it's about that that eighth city 
Actually, I'm sorry. The next arc doesn't cover the eighth city, but it is the following arc after that. So they kind of leave these threads dangling that they pick up again. So it's not a series of like self-contained stories. You know, they have this over uh, this overarching thread that continues. So I thought that was pretty cool. I like that last shot of them up by the Rand building sign looking out. It's pretty nice. Yeah. And I like Davos's punishment that he has to now guard the egg, kind of like was... full circle. Yeah. 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 Okay, so in the interest of time, I'm going to skip issue 15. Issue 15 is another one shot. It's the story of uh, Bay Bang Wen, who we've met before. Uh, in one of the flashbacks, and it really it's the first one that really doesn't tie in with the main story, pretty much because issue 14 ended the arc. Um, so it's another good action, interesting story of a past Iron Fist. You know, it fills in a little bit more of the uh, mythology, but it doesn't directly tie into the story that just finished up. So we're going to skip that one just to get through to issue 16 before we run a uh, three-hour show here. But definitely worth reading. Good art. Good, uh, interesting story. So as we go to 16, we see Danny is running a karate school for kids. And we learn in the issue that Danny has kind of like uh, had a change of philosophy. He's kind of tearing Rand Industries down. And he's becoming like more of a nonprofit uh, organization um, rather than a business, and he's helping kids out in schools, and he's getting kids that from you know kids that are from the wrong sides of the track. Uh, he's getting them good lunches and karate training for you know discipline and somewhere to go to keep them off the streets and everything. Jaron him and says this is just really too much. He's more of a business guy than than you know a charity guy. And after everything that just went down with his mother and Hydra and everything else, that it's probably time for him to step down. And he does in a, in a pretty cool scene in an elevator, I guess. He asks, uh, "I've been noticing that you've been hitting the expense account pretty hard." He says, "Are you funding uh, Luke and his fugitive Avengers?" Danny says, "No." And then there's a blank panel, and then he says, "Yeah." Uh, so Danny, Danny kind of fesses up to Jaron that um, he's been funding the new Avengers. Danny said, Jaron gets off the elevator. Danny says, I got to stop at the 13th floor. Jaron says, there's no 13th floor. And Danny just says, stay in touch, Jaron. Um, and he goes to the secret floor that he had made in his building on the 13th tower. John Amon and all of the immortal weapons are there, and they seem to be digging into the library from Orson Randall's notes that Danny had uh, received from Mr. Erskine earlier um, in the other annual or one-shot. Um, they're saying that they cannot prove that there is no Eighth City. We cannot prove it a lie. Um, so they have some interesting... Uh, you know, they're, they're learning a lot of interesting things, Fat Cobra says, in his suit and little glasses, which is pretty funny. Uh, they're reading through all of these scrolls and information. Um, there's a moment where the Bride of Nine Spiders touches Danny, and he ha- kind of has like a weird, like, um, The Ring moment, or uh, <laughs> one of those other movies, The Grudge. So one of those yeah. type of moments, he says, ooh, that was creepy. Uh, and he leaves. He says he has a meeting. He's actually meeting um, Misty Knight. They have kind of an encounter in his apartment, and they're talking about uh, their relationship and what are we doing. 
and it seems like Danny is trying to change his life and actually like settle down with Misty. That it's that sort of conversation. Then he meets up with Luke and he makes Luke blindfold himself so he doesn't know where they're going. And it turns out that Danny bought Luke the old um, Heroes for Hire building back, and he wants to go back into business with Luke because it was you know one of the favorite times in his life, and they were doing good then, and so he's trying to get all that back. Uh, it also looks like he's driving around a van that says Orson's uh, Race on the side of the van. He's kind of dedicated a little soup kitchen van to Orson, and he's driving around helping out the homeless. So Danny's really kind of uh, had an epiphany through all these events, and he's changing the type of person that he is. Then he begins meditating, and there's this real trippy scene where uh, we get a close-up of Danny's eye as he's meditating, um, but then the eye turns into like a flower, which sprouts an egg, but then when they back up from the egg, it's a skull, and there's really trippy stuff. There's puddles of water that turn into chains, and... He's going through this kind of psychedelic moment as he, you know, lo- looks at the book of the Iron Fist and, and meditates. And as he's looking through the book, he, he starts to put things together and, and take some notes of his own. And he realizes that every Iron Fist has died at age 33, which is the same age that Orson was when he went missing. And then uh, we hear a Danny, so somebody is in his apartment talking to him. And when he turns around... It's all his good buddies saying happy birthday. And, of course, the number on the candles of the cake is 33. And that's the end of the issue uh, and the omnibus for the most part. Uh, I thought this was a really cool setup for the next arc. Um, Again, I didn't see it coming at all. I I wasn't sure where they were going with Danny kind of like changing his life and making things right. Um, I I guess it was that he finally gets it and now he's going to die. But I really liked it. It got me wanting to read that next arc as soon as possible. Yeah, this was one of my favorite issues in the whole omnibus, really, because it was just kind of a, you know, just kind of a heartfelt issue. I love the the humor where we get the, like you mentioned earlier, the page with Jaron and Danny in the elevator, and he kind of busts them on funding the the Avengers. So I thought that was really cool, and uh, and then the whole, you know, the fact that there's this thirteenth floor, this. Uh, Library reminds me of the library from Buffy. From Buffy, yeah, Buffy, definitely. Yeah. The TV series, you know, the whole you know stairwell and the fact that they're looking up weird stuff in there, and you know, just had that vibe, that Buffy vibe. Too. Actually, with it being hidden like that, and I, I immediately thought um, the the Sanctum Sanctorum. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, lo- I also love yeah. I also love seeing the immortal weapons and just ordinary human Earth Earth uh, street clothes. Yeah, yeah. Especially Fat Cobra, he looks so at home right there reading a book. <laughs> the Bride and Night Spiders has like a gap shirt on or something. Yeah, she's looking pretty good too. Yeah. yeah. He looked nice. The uh the one page where it's the page after he tells Lucy bought him the building, Aja actually drew in Fraction and Brewbaker on that, on that yeah. panel. You can see Fraction with the Casanova T shirt and Brewbaker with the his signature hat and criminal his criminal shirt. Yep. That's cool. that was pretty cool. But yeah, I just I like the fact that you know Danny's basically after all he's been through, he's trying to make it right. You know, he's trying to to do the right thing and realize that he has. And I think he's he's come to learn where his money really came from. And you know, I think it's kind of hit him home that it's kind of the the culmination of what started at the beginning. At the beginning of the issue, you know, he kind of had that 
you know, revelation about the Chinese and not wanting to, you know, sell that technology because of the human rights issue, you know, record. And so here we are at the end of, you know, the omnibus and, and this, you know, odyssey where, you know, he's, he's trying to, to be a better person himself and kind of live, you know, live by example. And then the whole, you know, 33 thing I thought was really cool. You know, kind of, you know, you thought the big twist, you know, at the end, you know, reading it was coming with the, the eighth city. And then here, you know, we get at the end of this issue, we get another big twist of Iron Fist stopped being Iron Fist at 33. So I think that was pretty cool. Yeah, and clearly the Bride of Nine Spiders knew, knew, knew about that already because, you know, her response to his question, I know what day it is, Daniel Rand. And, you know, he's like, oh, okay, I don't know what that means. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Just to wrap up the omnibus, we get a, a reprint of when Danny filled in for for Daredevil, uh, when Daredevil had to pretend Kingpin had outed Daredevil, uh, you know, as Matt Murdock. So, you know, he needed another Daredevil running around when he was in when Danny was in jail. No, when Matt Murdock was in jail, Danny posed as Daredevil so that nobody would, you know, put two and two together. This back when uh, in our villains episode, you were talking about a point where uh, Matt had done that, had people impersonating Daredevil so they could be seen together or in the same place. Is kind of the same thing? Or yep, absolutely, absolutely. So that's a good, that's an interesting issue. That was kind of like the return of, um, of Iron Fist. You know, this ran before the Iron Fist series started up, so this was kind of like what gained a little interest back into Iron Fist you know, before the new Avengers and before this series and everything. So that was a good choice, I thought, to to throw into the omnibus. And then we get some reprints of, like, the first Iron Fist issue ever, which is, like, Marvel premiere number 15, and Iron Fist number one is in here. Just some nice reprints. They definitely fit in. They have some of the familiar characters. You get the UT and Lycoon the Thunderer and Davos. And um, so they were good choices, I thought, to fill out a nice book. I, I really like I really liked this book in general. It's a it's a great looking book. I love the way the cover is green and the and the you know the the embroidered writing is is in gold. So it just looks like Iron Fist when you have the dust jacket off it and everything. You know, and his art looked really nice in this format. So I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, I can't wait till the till the next one. Yeah, I'm um, reading it. Yeah, I've been I've been keeping up, and I I was really uh, you know I was afraid when this creative team left, but um, it's really been holding up for me, and I'm I'm kind of worried again about what's going to happen when the Immortal Weapons uh, set is done. You know, if it's going to have the same team when it comes back, or you know, I'm interested to see next month that first solicit after the one shots are done. That'll be that'll be interesting. So Ken, this was the you know Russ and I had a little bit of a background with this. This was your first read through, so you want to give a little uh, rating or a thoughts or? No, I'll give it a four out of five. I mean, it was, it was really good stuff. Um, it's not normally the stuff I would read, but that that's a good thing sometimes, and I really um, did enjoy it. Cons- consistently good throughout the, all these issues I've read, and you know, looking at the other stuff we've done with uh, Brubaker, like between Cap, and we talked about Daredevil in the past. It's like you know, everything from him has been so consistently good and above the norm for, for some of the stuff. It's just, it's a shame more people aren't reading this like we were saying before with, you know, trying to get some of those new Avengers readers in. It, it's just been, uh, you know, I just can't put in the words, you know, how, how good it was and, and what a surprise it was to me, how much I really enjoyed it because I'm not really into Kung Fu. Like listening to you guys talk about the movies and things like that and I'm like, I, I never really got into that. I always, 
you know, back when I, when I would have been watching it, I just got distracted by how comical it was with their with the, the dubbing and their lips not lining up to the to what they were saying. It's just like it just seems comical, and I just couldn't get past it, so I never really got into the kung fu kung fu movies like that. Right. Um, so uh, it's just a really great story, and I'm going to continue to read these and and then see where it takes me. Awesome. Is it, is it now? Is this series still? Going on, I didn't notice yeah. until in, in previews or anything like that that Steve is still being solicited. It is, it is still an ongoing. Yeah, it's, right still, it's still an ongoing, but they took this five month break to do the Immortal Weapons one gotcha. shots. All right. So there has been two arcs after the Omnibus. Um, there's been an arc where they dealt with this 33rd birthday for Danny, and then the arc after that dealt with the Eighth City. Eighth City, right. Okay. And uh, and now they've gone into this hiatus with the one shots, which again, you know, it's uh, you know they're four dollar books, and yeah. you know, which I'm not thrilled about. And I hope it's not like to segue into four dollar Iron Fist ongoing books, right? Um, but I don't see them dropping it a dollar no. <laughs> after they've been getting that. So um, know, yeah. I, I just thought I had one other experience with with Iron Fist. I believe I think it's Iron Fist who's in this. I have. Like from way back in the day, one of those like they're huge, oversized comics from Marvel. Um, yeah, it might be it. And uh, it had a couple stories in there. Like it had a, a Ghost Rider story in this particular one. It had a, a Spider Man, but I think it had like Spider Man and Iron Fist together. I think. Uh, I'm trying to imagine. Um, I'm just doing a quick search on Google to see if I can uh, if I can find it here. Um. They definitely exist in the same uh, proximity. Yeah. Yeah, no, no question. Uh, that might not be it. I'm going to see if I can track it down if I can. Maybe I'll throw a, a link to it on the forums. or. Uh... Oh, here it is. Marvel Treasure Edition. Uh, it's uh, the Astonishing Spider-Man. In the cover shot, it's a spotlight. you got Spider-Man. you got Angel, Iron Fist. Um, it's like Jean Grey, Cyclops, Ghost Rider. Iceman, and one other. It's it's cool stuff, but yeah, there's an Iron Fist uh, appearance in this one. I'm going to see if I still have that track it down. Sweet. It was Marvel Treasury number 18 from 1977. Well, thanks everybody for this supersized edition of the Legion of Dudes. As we finish up Iron Fist, please join us next week when we will be discussing the Goon. Um, I know Mr. Jim Beats is pushing and pushing us to, to get this done. We finally found a way to fit it on the calendar. Um, so that'll be next week, the Goon. As always, drop us a voicemail. Drop us an email. Comments at legionofdudes.com. Visit the website, legionofdudes.com. There's always content there. We've got audio blogs, regular blogs, um, the shows. Check out our sister podcast, Half Hour Wasted. Um, usually comes out every either very late Sunday or very early Monday on the same feed. So until next week, that is all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>